Welcome into Tailgate NFL Week 3 Preview. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati in the studios here. We're going to go through every all 16 games on the NFL Preview. also have interviews with East West Shrine Bowl Director of Personnel Eric Galco and then some players, man. This is loaded. Jalen Catalan, the phenom safety for Arkansas. Then I got my guy, the legend, nastiest offensive lineman in college football, E.K. McQuanu, we'll call him Icky for NC State. And then Jalen Tolbert, sneaky deep threat for South Alabama, a guy that if you haven't watched the tape on yet, go turn it on, a six foot. Three long, deep threat. Good speed for South Alabama. One of my favorite players in the FBS. Let's get it. We got no time to catch an early buzz, Mike. We got to get right into this film here. Yes, sir. Panthers, Long not film, not film. This preview here. We've already watched the film. We've grinded the tape. The tape is ground. It's time to get into Panthers, Texans. Snorted Thursday night football. We snorted some tape. Thursday night football. Panthers at Texans. Davis Mills is starting this game. Sam Darnold is starting this game. Texans at home are eight point dogs. Let's just start with Davis Mills and probably finish with Davis Mills. Yeah, I was gonna say you said Davis Mills, and I let out a pretty big sigh because I'll say it. Tyrod Taylor was fun to watch. So that it offense. was better than fun to watch. Tyler Tyler was good. Okay, and good. Yeah. Uh, that those A lot of times those are synonymous. Well, but in this case, synonymous. <laughs> Davis Mills, on the other hand, not as fun to watch. Unsurprisingly, 32.7 grade last week. Now, like I said, it came in halfway. It's not going to be great. But also with talent around him, it's just not going to be great. The Panthers, their defense... I underestimate them. They're for real. This defense has talent. Brian Burns is an absolute animal. Uh, eight points. I'll take it all day. I take that up to 11, 12. I, this is, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be really be Thursday night or not to hashtag fun to watch. All right, here's a take. I like the Houston Texans to cover, despite the Davis Mills slander. There's no quarterback that's taken at least 10 drops. So 35 total quarterbacks in the NFL have taken at least 10 dropbacks so far this year. Davis Mills is the worst. However, on a short week, he's got the full week here. Now it's another short week, but still, he's known starter this week. I feel more confident. I also feel good about his over passing props, and you can get plus over one and a half passing touchdowns, plus 188. I'm just going to lean into the Davis Mills hype. I think it's overblown. The total's at 43 as well. I'd lean the over in that one. There's a handful of bets I like on Thursday night because I'm, I'm, I'm chasing havoc here. I'm chasing havoc. I want to root for the Houston Texans every week, as I did in week one, as I did in week two. I like Houston plus eight. I think Davis Mills isn't good, but he's not that terrible. And on, at home, I like the Panthers defense. I think there was, um, pardon, the interu- pardon the interruption. Is that the show on ESPN? Yeah. They're saying, are the Panthers the best defense in the NFL? I think that's a little overhyped. They do have a really good pass rush so far, but they have faced the easiest schedule to date. I like the Houston Texans to cover the number, not win. I like Houston, Davis Mills plus eight, and to go over his props. Go for it. Go for that, it. I hey, mean, that, hey. We just I might be getting a Houston Texans tattoo. I might be getting a Houston Texans tattoo on my neck here by the end yeah. of the year if they keep winning against the spread. Texans are 2-0 and against the spread, by the way. All right. On, off of Thursday Night Football and onto the Baltimore Ravens taking on the Detroit Lions. Another eight-point spread here. Lion, another home dog. Detroit Lions at home, eight-point dogs to the Baltimore Ravens on the road. What are your initial thoughts? And, and give me your pick. I hate to do this. It's back-to-back eight-point road faves. But I'm picking the eight-point road phase again. Wow. Ravens, let's say this. You you have young offensive line with Taylor Decker out that I think the stunts and blitzes that the Ravens send at them will be an issue. Like, they, they 
Penisil can hold his own one-on-one, but he still hasn't seen blitzes quite the way the Ravens throw blitzes at you. And two, Goff doesn't have Sean McVay to read defense for him. So Ravens, half their snaps and cover zero week one, none in week two. But that was Patrick Mahomes they're facing in week two. Jared Goff, a little different animal. He's going to get the kitchen sink thrown at him in this one. Yeah, I think this is going to be a big week for the Baltimore Ravens. I'm also t- I'm not taking the home dog here. I'm not taking the eight points with Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions, even though they were able to keep it close against Green Bay. They didn't even cover the 11 against Green Bay on Monday Night Football. I don't think they cover this eight. You have DeAndre Swift battling a groin injury. He's questionable for this game. Uh, they just lost Ifatu Elefanwu on the injured reserve. Along now, Jeffrey Okuda's already been out with the Achilles. They're going. They brought up I think uh, Daryl Worley off the practice squad. To come in here in the secondary. This is a dangerous, dangerous game. Detroit's playing on the back end. I'm Darryl nervous. Darryl Worley's like the classic. Uh, we're we're effed. <laughs> like OS. Yeah, I don't. So regardless, I don't like the injuries they've here. suffered in the secondary. I mean, their offense has struggled to put up points, even against a bad Green Bay Packers team. after the first, you know, first half or whatever. But I, I, I like the Baltimore Ravens cover this number, and I like them to improve to two and one, and and silence some of the doubters after Week One when they took that L. Um, I still think the Browns win that division. I don't want to get too long-term with my answer on this game, but I like Baltimore to bounce back um, after the week one skid, go two and one on the season and cover the eight-point spread. Moving to Atlanta Falcons at the New York Giants. Giants favored by three in this game, which I don't know how to pick this game. I don't know where to go. I'll tell you where I'm leaning after you tell me, but I guess what are your initial reactions to this game specifically and then your pick? I'm leading Giants, man. I get straight up in. The, the Falcons look kind of hapless on kind of both sides of the ball at this point. And, and how do you beat the Giants? You pressure Daniel Jones into oblivion. You beat him into a pulp. Falcons have maybe the worst, one of the worst pass rushes in the NFL. They, they don't got that. You know, they, they don't have the horses. Now, Grady Jarrett's one man. Can't do it all on his own. Dead last in terms of pass rushing grade in the NFL this season. So, three-point spread, Yeah. That's, you know, betting on Deion Jones at off the line. But I, I do think their defense is going to get the job done, Giants, and especially just the way that offense has been for the Falcons. Matt Ryan, five yard average depth of target. His lowest before this in his career was seven. And the last five years, last eight years, has not been below eight and a half. He's just a different, it's a, he's just not comfortable in this offense. I honestly, his arm being cooked is a real, like, concern. really? That's a real concern. He's, he, We'll talk about it later. We'll talk about that later. That's one of the, actually, the tri- the uh, mailbag questions. Well, I'm leaning to tr- uh, New York as well. Okay. Uh, Green Line, PFF Green Line, if you're an elite subscriber, you can look at PFF's betting dashboard. It doesn't have a clear value on this game, but if it had to lean one direction, it is leaning the Giants' direction at minus three. That's what I would bet in this game. I think the other piece, too, it's not a significant injury, but Russell Gage, questionable with an ankle injury, I think, the receiving t- Calvin Ridley is getting locked up. I mean, not locked up, but like they were putting so much effort into you know covering Calvin Ridley, and not a lot of other people are creating separation for this offense without Julio Jones. I think they've misused Kyle Pitts in a lot of ways. Average depth of target is so low, but also big time throw rate for Matt Ryan under one point two percent turnover. The play rate over two percent. This has been an ugly, ugly drop off from Arthur Smith to who are they even trying out an offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons? I don't even know. I, I've been. This has been my like. I don't know who their offensive coordinator is. Kind of weak. I didn't know who the. I thought I forgot the Detroit Lions had Anthony Lynn at offensive coordinator. Dave Ragone. Dave Ragone for the Atlanta Falcons. I, I, I mean, this legend. is, this is um a bit of a concern for me. I think uh, I think I don't like the Atlanta Falcons to cover the three, 
Um, I think they don't win this game either. I like the Giants and, you know, Daniel Jones coming off one of the highest graded games of his career. If he can just stay upright, and I know they're battling injuries. Nick Gates and Shane Lemieux both not going to play in this game. They're battling injuries at guard. And ta- uh, it, but I, I think I think the Giants win this one and they cover the number. All right. Yeah. Same. Great. On to the Bears at Browns. Browns favored by seven in this game. This one is interesting. You saw the Houston Texans stick around and cover against the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland. Now, and that was with Davis Mills coming in late, and I think the Browns honestly would have been closer if uh, Terod Taylor didn't get hurt. Where are you leaning Chicago versus Cleveland? I just don't think it's a good matchup for Justin Fields' very first start. You have two edge rushers in Javi Clowney and Miles Garrett who are wholly capable of just pushing the pocket and keeping you in it. You know, like he's thrived on escaping out the back, plays with his legs and especially with the Bears tackles right now Miles Garrett and Javon Clowney can just go bull rush every time and with their length and they, they like they can keep Justin Fields in that pocket and chase him down when he does so I think the rushing ability those big plays in the run game I, I don't think are necessarily going to be there um, I just don't think it's a good matchup for them seven's a lot but I I like the Browns cover yeah Justin Fields getting his first start and I think what you saw Last time with Justin Fields, very conservative approach once he entered the game. They did not want to throw a ton downfield. I don't expect that to change a ton in this game. Maybe they do take some shots, but I still think it's going to be an overall very conservative offense, one that wants to run the football. I think Cleveland's going to eat up, and I think that's reflected in the spread. I think they're going to win this football game pretty handily. I think they do cover the seven. And and looking at some of the key injuries in this game, I, I, obviously Andy Dalton's out. you got Larry Borum on the injured reserve. They're thin along the offensive line. Like Chicago is not in a good position to be starting a rookie quarterback. Do you feel, if I can ask a high-level question here, we obviously just both picked both pick Cleveland minus seven at home to cover that number. Mm-hmm. Do you feel, now that Andy Dalton is hurt, is going to miss, you know, like possibly a few weeks, this is going to significantly hinder Justin Fields' development. Going against a defense like the Browns, it's going to put pressure on all those things. You talked about bad habits all offseason. Mm-hmm. You talked about you don't start them because you don't want to develop these bad habits. Do you see any risk of that starting with Cleveland and moving forward? It could. I mean, I, mean, I think he's going to be under a lot of pressure in this one. Yeah. And, I, I worried about Zach Wilson last week. I even said I'd probably put him on, I'd probably sit him on the bench because he was after probably the third quarter because he wasn't mentally playing quarterback the way he, he just wasn't there. Like he was not comfortable, the comfort level. And so when you're not comfortable, when you're com- every single snap, even when it, the pocket's completely clean, you're trying to bail out of it. That is developing bad habits. That's, you know, adjusting your eye level to where it shouldn't be. So I do worry. Yeah, I, I'll say it. I, I am a little worried. On to Los Angeles Chargers at the Kansas City Chiefs. Before we do so, I wanted to highlight our sponsor, proud sponsor. We talk about these lines all day. Week two of football is in the books. And now it's time to review a, the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, where you can bet all day long, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet on a, of $1 on any week three game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the Draft 
DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. On to, as I said, Chargers at Chiefs. Chiefs are only favored by six and a half in this game. I think the preseason spread, if they were going to put it out, would have been maybe nine, maybe 10. I think it speaks to, you know, maybe how talented the Chargers have looked so far this year or how successful the Chargers have played so far this year. And also, you know, some vulnerability from the Chiefs end. You know, so far this year, Patrick Mahomes is the 19th graded passer, according to PFF. Big time throw rate under 1.5%. It's the worst start we've seen to his career in his young career, but obviously I'm not worried about it, whatever. What I'm saying is, I think there is some Chiefs vulnerability baked into this line. The fact that the the Chiefs not even a full touchdown favored over the Chargers. And I'll say this, Mike, I'm taking the Chargers against the spread. I think the Chiefs win this game, but I like the Chargers to cover six and a half. I think this offense has been really successful. I think they've shot themselves in the foot with a lot of boneheaded plays that have cost them games and cost them plays. I don't necessarily think that is super sustainable, even though a lot of people talk about the Chargers is cursed. I think I still think even with Storm Norton playing at tackle, this this Chargers team beats up on what has been a bad Chiefs defense and uh, covers the six and a half. Maybe doesn't win the game, but covers the six and a half. Yeah, I was gonna say I, we've been picking a lot of faves here. This is the one I'm going dog on Chargers, and I'd even if I had to pick the game outright, I'm not sure I'd pick the Chargers. I don't think it's like them winning would still be a bit of a long shot in Arrowhead, obviously, but. Six and a half is a lot of points for a team that's as talented as the Chargers are for Justin Herbert playing as well as he had. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the Chiefs have the horses to really slow down Justin Herbert. Like you said, they've shot themselves in the foot to score seven, 20 points and 17 points in back-to-back weeks. They've mo- looked much better offensively, or Justin Herbert's played much better than that, than what they've scored. And my thing is the defense side of the ball. Derwin James can handle Travis Kelsey. You, you have a guy there capable of doing that. I trust Brendan Staley to put that defense in the correct position. And then I think Austin Eckler is going to have a game against this Chiefs sort of defensive line slash linebackers that have been been just a mess so far of late. Yeah, it's been one of the least efficient defenses in the NFL so far this year. I think ranks inside the bottom 10 in EPA per play allowed so far this year. So some concerns on the Chiefs defense and also some positives on the Chargers offense. Justin Herbert has looked really really good to start this season even with battling behind what has been a banged up offensive line specifically a tackle we saw what happened to storm norton against michael parsons last week we need to see some improvement there but i think he'll see it against kansas city i think they do cover the number as we said Bengals at steelers steelers favored by three honestly i do not think the Bengals have a shot in hell at winning this game or covering this number as bad as big ben and the steelers offense has looked like it did not look good against a arguably rough Raiders defense one that has exceeded expectations to start but still like you expect more success from the Steelers offense they were favored by five and a half in that game like the Steelers were legitimately favored by five and a half against the Raiders lost that game outright now the Steelers are at home and are only three point favorites over the Bengals maybe that's a bit of an overreaction I'm all in on the Steelers here I think they cover that they win and cover the three I know that hurts your ears Quinn but I, I honestly don't think the Bengals stand a chance here like if TJ Watt is healthy especially yeah. This, this Bengals offensive line is going to get torched. Well, that's a th- there's a lot of injuries. Go yeah. look at the injury report. Both teams, it like a couple guys either way could I feel like could really swing that. Yeah. So if Hayden and TJ Watt are out, that that could be bad for him. And obviously, you got 
Deontay Johnson on the injury report as well and Alex Highsmith. So the Steelers do have a good deal of injured players, but one of them, knock on wood as of right now, Cameron Hayward. Cameron Hayward's going to go to town against those guards. Uh, every single time, I, I think he's going to be living in the backfield. That's just, I fear for, you know, Joe Burrow surgically repaired left knee. It's just, that that's, that's <laughs> the kind of pressure he's going to be on this game, and especially with the game plans they've been running. It, it hasn't done much in the way of alleviating those concerns, in my opinion. Some people on the Bengals injury report as well. T. Higgins, shoulder injury, questionable. Larry Ogunjobi with a groin, questionable. And Xavier Suafilo, the guard, questionable with a leg injury. I think injuries are a good point. we see a little Jack Carmen action? We might see some Jack Carmen, which say, against... Suafilo injury might not be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Suafilo on the pine. Jackson Carmen enters, rookie out of Clemson. That matchup against Cameron Hayward might end up on OnlyFans because it's going to be a bludgeoning. Okay, that you don't want to see that. Mm. You're not going to want to see that. It's going to be subscriber-only content if we do get to see that. I think the Steelers have the edge, even with some of these injuries. I think you want to see T.J. Watt play, Joe Hayden, especially Deontay Johnson. But even if they lose some of those guys, I still think they have the edge. I still think they win this game by more than three. On to the football team versus the Buffalo Bills. Bills favored by seven and a half in this game at home over Taylor Heineke and the football team. This one, I lean, honestly, I lean football team at seven and a half. But if I had to highlight a better bet, would be teasing it down to one and a half. So when you tease a bet, you get six points to the bet you like. So say you like the Bills in this game. Mm -hmm. You get to bring that from seven and a half down six to one and a half, as long as you have another teaser leg. So maybe you bring the Jaguars from plus seven and a half to plus one and a half. And then you get minus 120 odds on that those two bets hitting. Kind of like a parlay, but it's a teaser. But I don't love betting over the seven and a half. And it's why. Why? 14% of games land on seven between the two teams. And then another 9% line on three. So over 20% of the games land on one of those numbers. So you're getting a lot of value when you do tease through. You know, you talk about teasing through numbers. Teasing through seven and teasing through three. So when you see lines like seven and a half or eight, you can kind of get through a handful of key numbers like seven and three. This is an opportunity for me. So if I, I guess if I had to pick against it, the seven and a half, I take the football team. But I think this is more of a teaser leg for me. This is an, this is an outlandish line for me. This is the craziest line I saw all week. The the, the football team is, is a damn good football team. <laughs> That's a quote crap. You know? Put it on this is a damn good football team. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I've watched the Bills' offensive line. They've been shit this year. <laughs> like th this offensive line is not playing well, especially on the interior. You are going up against what many thought was the top defensive line in the NFL heading into this year. And maybe they haven't played up to expectation, but the talent's still there. Mm -hmm. That hasn't changed. Bills are second worst pass blocking grade as a team. Every single player has given up at least five pressures on that off line through two weeks. And, and yeah, the Steelers, they face week one, but the, the Miami Dolphins is not a world-beater defensive line. Shouldn't Andrew been Van Ginkle looked like a future Hall of Famer against that offensive yes. line. So, I, I, I like the football team seven and a half. It's, it's just... That's too much. That, PFF too much for me for a I, game like that. We're, we're, I'm, I'm with you. I'm betting football team seven and a half. If I was going to bet the Bills, I'd tease them down to one and a half. But still, looking at Green Line, remember you can get this as an elite subscriber. It sees a two percent edge on the seven and a half line for the football team, and a one percent edge if you can get the money line at two seventy two or better, plus two seventy two or better. I might be betting both this week. I might be all in on this football team. You've called a good football team because I, I I do think that this defensive line is a mismatch against the Bills' offensive line. And honestly, Josh Allen's been shaky to start here. A little shaky start for Josh Allen. This is not the bounce back cupcake week he needs to get back on track and show that MVP form. You look at his grade so far this year, just a 62.3 overall grade, over a 4% turnover-worthy play rate. 
so far this year from Josh Allen, unlike what we saw from the previous year. Now, I'm not saying the headline or the social graphic might be Austin Gale thinks Josh Allen sucks again. It's that he has not played well to start or as well as he was last year. Let's see him return to form. Might be easier said than done against one of the better defenses in the NFL. On to Saints at Patriots. Patriots favored by three here. Talk about, I, I feel bad for Vegas trying to figure out what the fuck is going on in New Orleans. They, they, they blow out Green Bay, Flip and they look like absolute dog shit against Carolina. I love their, what were they, three-point favorites over Carolina on the road, and they get absolutely run, run down. Highest, highest EPA per play in the NFL in week one, Jameis Winston. Lowest EPA per play or per drop back in week two, Jameis Winston. Like, this is rough to see for the Saints. I don't want to touch this team. I'm betting Patriots. Yeah, I'm betting Patriots here, too. Couple of reasons why. One, it's Bill Belichick going up against James Winston. Um, did talk you see, about, did talk you see, about OnlyFans. <laughs> did you see how before the half last week, Carolina ran the same blitz three times in a row? And James Winston threw, I think he may have taken a sack, threw one away, and then threw a pick. I did not see it. It was just brutal. Can you send me that? This, this Carolina ran the same blitz three plays in a row. And James just looked like every single time, like he had never seen it before. Wow. Because, well, I mean, maybe he hasn't. He probably hadn't before that, <laughs> but it's, you can bet money that Bill's going to be dialing up that blitz once this week. And, and I do maybe think. Maybe three times in a row. And they, just the Saints, the fact that they really have no separators is killing them. They, they don't have guys who can get open on their own right now on the outside. When Michael, the Michael Thomas injury, I said it beginning of the season, was the biggest one. That's going to, of the guys who were on IR through the first six weeks, that was the biggest one because they don't really have another one. They don't have another guy who's like, oh, yeah, he can get open. They just really don't. And that's kind of, it didn't matter against the Packers because they didn't even have to drop back to pass. But I think you're going to see it more, especially when they're behind in games, that it's going to be a lot more bad, Jameis. This Patriots defense has also looked really good. I think the first person you bring up is always Bill Belichick and, like, doesn't matter where his defense is ranking that season or that, you know, even the last two years, I mean, it's always going to be a good high. defense. Yeah, it's always going to so. be ranking high. But this year so far, it's been a highly regarded defense. They've ranked well. They rank first in EPA, or not EPA, passer rating allowed in coverage. It helps when you play, you know, Tua Tungabailoa and Zach Wilson to start. But I think we could see similar in productivity or lack of efficiency from this, this Jameis Winston-led Saints offense. I am, I am big on them coming. It doesn't help that they're also battling injuries. I mean, there's been, you know, Eric McCoy has been battling injuries. You got Marcus Davenport on the injury reserve. Now you saw Peyton Turner after a big game, the rookie out of Houston. He's questionable with an elbow injury. I don't like this line. I think the Patriots win this one. I think the only reason you're seeing this minus three is that the offense hasn't looked fantastic yeah. with Mac Jones, but I don't think it has to be fantastic for them to beat up on the Saints, especially in Foxborough. Colts at Titans. Titans favored by five. I'd taken the Colts here. I'm taking the Colts on the money line and, and as five-point dogs. I like them to cover five because I, I don't know what's going on in Tennessee. I think there's been no, some up-and-down play from them. Did they start to catch fire of late? Did Derrick Henry start to run all over them? And, and Ryan Tannehill was one of the greatest, highest-graded passers in Week 2. I just don't know how consistent that will be, and I think it won't be as easy against Eberflus in this Colts day. Yeah, I agree. I'm taking the Colts. I, I just I don't trust the Titans yet. They've played one good half of football, you know? Less, and I wouldn't even say they less. have. It was just Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. Yeah. Uh, they've really played one good half football through two games. And I think the Colts are kind of backs against the wall here. You know, they really are. This has to, has to happen this week. And now Carson Wentz, obviously his injury, whatever happens with his, you know, double ankle sprain, both ankles, that – so wait, wait that out before you bet the Colts in this one. But if he's healthy and playing, Colts have a good run defense. Eighth right now in terms of PFF run defense grade. I, I, 
five points is just a lot to give to a team like that. I do think that's good feedback, though. Betting this one, betting Indy before you're certain Carson Wentz is playing feels risky. And when you look We've at... We've all seen Jacob Eason play football. <laughs> it, it's more than risky. It's a, it's, a just, it's a death knell. And what's awesome about PFF Greenland, I know I've brought it up a handful of times, shameless plug, but it, what it is pretty sick is you can see the cash and ticket splits for every game. So you can see so far this year, or so far this week, 50% of bettors have bet on Tennessee and 81% of the tickets, so the number of bets, have been on Tennessee. And when you look at the money line, 99% of the cash on the money line is on Tennessee. So a lot of people are backing Tennessee right now while the number is five because I think maybe they're baking in some uncertainty that Carson Wentz plays. But if Carson Wentz is you know, named the starter, maybe this line moves a little bit. Um, I yeah. side with Colts at plus five, but still, uh, if Carson Wentz does end up getting hurt, I wouldn't be betting it today. I'll mm-hmm. say that. I'm not betting it now. I'm leaning, I'm leaning Tennessee right now if I didn't know if Carson Wentz was going to play. Uh, Arizona-Jacksonville is the next game I have listed here. Jacksonville at home, seven and a half point dogs. And there was a lot of me that was like, you know what, let's stop the hate. Let's stop the hate on Jacksonville. Urban Meyer calling every team he faces Bama or whatever. <laughs> but nah, Arizona goes into Jacksonville and lights these kids up. I think they cover that number easily. All right. Um, I am going Jacksonville here. Oh, no. One for seven and a half is a lot in any game. Two, I, I have no rational support for this. I think Trevor Lawrence figures it out. If he's not going to figure it out. I love when you're betting with no rational support. I mean, like I... There's no, I mean, like he's looked, he's looked poor through two games. There's no denying that, but it's not been, it's been missing passes, and we have enough data from Matt Clemson to know that accuracy is not like, he's not pinpoint by any means, but it was never an issue like that at Clemson. So, I think he figures it out enough. Disagree to cover seven and a half. I don't think, and, I don't... and again, Cardinals, good, def- good defensive line. They can put pressure on you. And pressure has not been really the issue with Lawrence. That's not been why he's been unsuccessful. I think it's been the receivers, not necessarily the receivers, but just missing receivers. I think he'll have open receivers in this game. Here, here's a take. I, I, Trevor Lawrence could figure it out. Doesn't matter. I don't think the supporting cast figures out. I don't okay. think I don't think the defense figures it out. I mean, Trevor Lawrence could have the best game of These his young points. career. I just don't know if the Jags will prop him up enough to cover this seven and a half, or especially not outright win this game. This Cardinals, everyone talks about Kyler Murray. Highest graded quarterback out of rhythm. So out of rhythm on out of structure plays is Kyler Murray. Sure. He is sure. single-handedly putting this offense into, you know, rarefied air. And I think defensively they've exceeded expectations. Starts with Chandler Jones, JJ Watt, Byron Murphy playing well. Like this is a a football team currently exceeding expectations. And I think that continues to roll against Jacksonville on the road here. Dolphins at Raiders, Raiders favored by four. Before I get into how much I love one side of that game. Homefield Apparel, new partner, two tailgate, uh, is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis. Incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield is in the middle of Big News Saturday, season two, where they launch a new school collection every Saturday for 16 weeks straight. They reached, they got Georgia, North Carolina, Florida, West Virginia was dope. And then they also are releasing now USC. I think the USC gear could be sick. I think the USC gear could be sick. I'm excited to see that this Saturday. Um, I also have a handful of the gear myself. If you want some of the Homefield Apparel, go to homefieldapparel.com. Use promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase. That's promo code PFF for 15% off. Get ready for college football tailgate season. I'm all in on the Raiders here. I'm all in on the Las Vegas Raiders covering four. 
It was early at three and a half before the Tua injury was made official that he's not going to play in this game. This is at home. I don't understand how this line is for. Yeah. It's at home for a Raiders team that is one of two teams that is 2-0 and 2-0 against the spread, has an impressive offense in sustainable areas. Derek Carr is playing well. Their left tackle, Colton Miller, is playing well. John Gruden is calling great games. They're throwing the ball at the highest rate on early downs of any team in the NFL. This is one of my favorite bets of the week. I like Raiders minus four. And I'm, you know, from Oakland. I've been here for the turmoil. I know this team is cursed. I don't think the curse runs that deep. I think the Raiders win this game by more than four. Um, The Dolphins' defense is good. I don't think it's good enough to slow down Las Vegas enough. Offensively, this is a Jacoby Brissett-led team behind one of the worst offensive lines in football against Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe. I I honestly think this four line is too small. I like Raiders. Yeah, Yannick Ngakwe... Or excuse me, Max Crosby is living right right now. Mm-hmm. Week one goes up against Alejandro Villanueva, who's just had to switch from left tackle to right tackle. No clue what he was doing, just killed him. Week two, he goes up against you know, Chukuma Korafor at right tackle. Who's, goes by Chukes. Who's one of a probably bottom five to ten off right tackle in the NFL. <laughs> of just like guys who are consistent starters there. And then week three, he's either going up against a banged up Jesse Davis, who is also a bottom five right tackle in the NFL, or another rookie who has had to go from left tackle to right tackle on Liam Meikenberg. He is going up against a slate that is just like barbecue city that he's, I mean, he's got a, a backup quarterback. He's just going to go to town. It's going to, yeah, I, the Ra- Raiders in this one, I can't believe it hasn't moved more with Tua being out. I mean, it would drastically fall beneath expectations for me if this Raiders defense doesn't eat and this the Raiders team doesn't, you know, win handling. Like, it would, it, you would be, in my opinion drastically falling below expectations because there is no reason on paper this game should be a four-point line I, I, outside of, you know, doubt that the Raiders can hold this up. And the Raiders, I mean, they've seen the offense. So they're top 10, or I think they're eighth in EPA per, per drop back. And they've seen two defenses that throw the most, like some of the most that you in the NFL and the Ravens and the Steelers. Like So they've seen what basically the Dolphins are going to also bring to the table. They've seen it all, and they've torched all of it. So I feel good about the Raiders' chance of at least scoring points yeah. because that's kind of all you're going to need to do is score somewhere in the neighborhood of 20-something to cover this line. Tua Tungvaluwa out in this game. Raekwon Davis injured reserve. And then you have, like you said, Jesse, uh, um, Jesse Davis to tackle. He's questionable with a knee injury, but he's earned a 54.9 grade so far this year regardless. For the Raiders, you still have Unique Ngakwe on the injury report listed as questionable. Same with Carl Nassib um, and some others as well. Not a ton of key injuries, especially key outs, like Tua Tungvaluwa for the Miami Dolphins for Las Vegas. I'm all in, dude. I'm all in. That's one of my favorite bets of the week. Las Vegas minus four. We are on to now Seahawks at Vikings. This one's interesting. I, I kind of like Vikings here. I like Vikings plus one and a half. And if I was going to bet them, I'd probably just take them on the money line since so many games land on three and seven, as I've said. Vikings money line, Vikings plus one and a half is where I'm leaning. I think some of this is because they're at home. A lot of this is because they're at home. Seahawks are going to Minnesota. And I just don't... The Seahawks defensive line has exceeded expectations, but their secondary hasn't. And Kirk Cousins has played well. Like, And when you look yeah. at sustainable things in the NFL and what you can bet on and bank on is quarterback play. And when it's good, lean into it. You know, when there's these other factors, like how the Vikings shoot themselves in the foot, like a fucking missed kick last week, don't lean into that so much. Where maybe the market would and like, oh, they're 1-1, one one, they're not winning games, whatever. They're 0-2, actually. Well, they're 0-2. <laughs> I'm not leaning into that as much. I think the Vikings, I like them plus one and a half. I think they win this game at home. God, we're agreeing on too many of this because I like the Vikings too. Yeah. And... To me, the biggest single mismatch 
in this game is probably the Vikings wide receivers against the Seahawks corners. And obviously the Seahawks have very good wide receivers too, but I'd, I'd probably rather have the Vikings corners at this point. So I think that's, Which is saying something. Yeah. So I think that's a single big mismatch. Obviously the Vikings being at home, home field, much more of a factor this year than it was a year ago with no fans. So I, yeah, give me the Vikings. Jets at Broncos. Broncos favored by 10 and a half against the Jets. And I think this number could continue to head in that direction. If it gets to 11 and a half, 12, I mean, even right now I'm taking the Jets. And it's I, there's not a lot of reason to do it outside of just how big this line is. And I think we've seen with big lines, Green Bay covered it against Detroit, but you didn't mm-hmm. see that with Cleveland against Houston. And I know the Jets are a doormat. I know their offensive line is one of the worst in the NFL, and Zach Wilson has looked like shit. But I don't know against Teddy Bridgewater and the Denver Broncos, as good as they've been, and Vic Fan- that defense is going to eat them alive. Vic Panjo is going to be all in on Zach Wilson. I still think the Jets can put Zach Wilson in a, enough position to succeed to keep this game within 10. I, th- I do. I, I think the Jets cover this number. Oh, man, I go back and forth in this one because the Jets have allowed 19 points week one, 25 points week two. So with that in mind, like, and that's Patriots and Panthers, two offenses that... I think you'd put in a similar tier as the Broncos. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure you'd put the Broncos too far ahead of those, although probably I like the Broncos the most of those three just right now. So what do you think? Like 20, 26 points or so you can expect in this game from Broncos. All you have to do is get set to 17 to cover as the Jets team. But that being said, it's the Broncos at home in September. And that's a different animal for a lot of other teams visiting. The altitude makes a difference. I, I do think that the Broncos cover that number damn that's a big spread it's but big. i mean it does speak to the success that teddy bridgewater has had this year he's one of the highest grade quarterbacks mm-hmm. so far their defense has played well limited a lot of big plays you kind of expected that with Vic fangio I, I don't like completely disagree i think i'm leaning jets but it's not like oh my gosh this number's ridiculous i'm i'm going all in on the jets i just leaning into it because it is that big of a spread um i think the other thing i'd add to is i think this jet i i, I do think that you get the bradley chum injury along the defensive line for Denver, even though Von Miller has balled out. There's there's some stuff here where maybe you start to regress. I don't know. But I will say this from a who wins this game, there's zero reason on paper the Broncos lose this game. That's true. There's zero reason on paper the Broncos lose this game. All right. Bucks at Rams. I think this is the lock of the week for the PFF forecast. Oh, was it? Bucks. They wrote Bucks. it up at Bucks as one and a half point dogs and has already moved now to the oh, Rams. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. The Rams now are one-and-a-half-point dogs at home in L.A. against Tampa. But it opened, I think, as the Bucks. Rams' favorite. Yeah, Rams were favored at home as one-and-a-half-point favorites. But it's moved that much. I know it hasn't moved through any key numbers. I bring up key numbers all the time, seven and three. But still, it's moved. The Rams are now underdogs, one-and-a-half. And I'm all in on the Bucks here. I think, I think there's a reason this line has moved. I think they are the better football team. I think the Rams have played well. They've exceeded expectations or exceeded even high expectations. But I think the Bucks are better. I think this is the, the better quarterback. This is they have the better roster, and I, I mean, coach is a split here for me. But I think the Bucks win this game and cover one and a half. I'm going Rams here. Wow! After being hesitant, I think I bought into the. So Rams. you think the Rams probably win this game? Then. Yeah, I think the Rams win at home. I think they have the personnel to attack at least this Bucks defense to score some points. I do worry about the other side of the ball, but the thing is, Aaron Donald's the ultimate equalizer. Aaron Donald will get pressure against any single offensive line in the country. And that's the Buck strength. They, they rely on the fact that they can block up talented front fours. But, again, no one blocks Aaron Donald. 
So he will be getting pressure on Tom Brady, pressure up the middle, the death knell on you know every quarterback in the NFL. I do think that's kind of the difference. This is going to be a different level of pressure, just more than Tom Brady is used to with what Aaron Donald brings to the table. I don't think that's going to be enough. I, I, I think they know Aaron Donald is the greatest equalizer, and they're going to make enough plays to make sure he doesn't disrupt this game because I do think the Bucs win this one. I, I, I feel pretty confident. Hey. Don't be overconfident in your evaluation. I'm not overconfident in my evaluation. I'm pretty confident in the Bucs <laughs> being a good football team. Anyway, uh, Packers, Niners. This one was tough for me. Niners are favored by three and a half in this game. At home against Green Bay. Green Bay looked like garbage in week one. And then looked solid, if not vastly improved, against Detroit. The reason I am hesitant to pick Green Bay to cover is this defense is horrendous. It's played horrendously. But against the San Francisco offense, where they're predicated so much on getting plays after the catch and these things, it's a different animal than some of the offenses they've faced. I like Green Bay to cover three and a half. I don't know if they win, but at plus 152, I think you can get it at maybe plus 160 for them to win this game on the road, making the cross-country trip. Maybe I do lean into it. Um, but I like Green Bay to cover, even though San Francisco, I think, you know, this line isn't too far off from what it should be. I like the 49ers, and I don't think they match up well. The Packers do with 49ers at full strength with that defensive line humming. I think Eric Armstead going up against that really young interior is going to have a field day. They really haven't faced a pass rusher kind of like him quite yet this season uh, in Green Bay. Uh, on the interior, that is. And... I just think the Packers' run defense is so toilet paper soft. It's going to look like week one when they just – Saints had anything they wanted on the ground. I fear that we will see a repeat of that. Man, can you even – I mean, picking San Francisco, who I'd argue has been the worst team in the NFC West. I'd okay. say they've looked like the worst team in the NFC West. But it's matchups, you know? I know it's matchups. Yeah. I know it's matchups. But when do we start talking – I mean, Green Bay loses this game. So, you know, you're picking San Francisco to win. I mean, what are the long-term prospects for Green? Are they competing with the Rams? Are they competing with the Niners? Are, I mean, Seahawks. Where where do you see them? Where do you see them? You you told me on the previous show they're the second best team in the NFC. Yeah, but you're not even picking them to beat the Niners. Would you pick them to be on the road again? And it's again matchups. It's like the 49ers. I don't. I think it smoked by a lot of teams, but it's because of the Packers' run defense without Zadarius Smith. It's just an issue. I can't believe I I'm having also. to be the Packers homer here. I mean, throw the Packers up against the, uh, you know, Bengals. Bengals right now, it's a different story. No, throw the Packers up against who's probably the other second best team, Rams. I think Packers have a solid chance against the Rams. Damn, 49ers, the Packers kryptonite. You heard it here first. Last game of the slate, and then we'll get into the mailbag questions and trivia. Um, Eagles at Cowboys. Cowboys favored by four on Monday Night Football. I am interested in this line. I there's there's definitely value according to Green Line on Eagles at plus four, which makes me want to lean into the math and lean into what they see there. But if I had to lean one direction, I think I'm going opposite direction. I like the Cowboys. I like the cow. I think this offense is too good. And as good as this Eagles defensive line has been, Javon Hargrave kind of leading the way. I I, I think the Cowboys offense will still hum and the Eagles just can't keep up. Yeah. I mean the Cowboys offense line's fantastic. You know, it's the top five unit in the NFL. They can handle that, and especially without Brandon Graham because that would be your weak spot with Lyle Collins out, would be whoever's going up against your right tackle. Brandon, uh, you know, Terrence Steele there at right tackle for the Cowboys. Brandon Graham would win that matchup, but obviously uh, torn Achilles 
it might be, you know, windows or curtains for Brandon Graham, sadly, but I don't think anyone's going to be able to replace necessarily what he brings to the table. So I think Zach Martin has held up well against Fletch Cox over the course of his career. Tyron's obviously going to handle his own biz. So I do think that's going to be more than enough for the Cowboys to score points. And I just don't trust the Eagles ability to score points in a hurry. I think it could score, but in a sort of measured, if they're ahead fashion, if it's Jalen Hurts dropping back with, you know, down 10, I don't like them as much offensively. Awesome stuff. The NFL week three preview in the books. Man, the fucking season is flying. It's already week three. It's college football week four. Next week, we're going to be talking about week five and shit. It's just going to be absurd. That's how weeks work. Let's. <laughs> hey, you know what? And then after that, week six. Gosh, darn it. Heard here first. I kind of walked into that one. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and get into the prospect primer. We also have this on our Thursday episodes, looking at the top prospect matchups in college football week four right now. A few quick ones here. Got Keishon Booty, LSU wide receiver. Obviously not a prospect himself as a true sophomore, but going up against Martin Emerson this week, uh, that'll be a good matchup for him. We have Xavier Thomas, the Clemson edge rusher, and Miles Murphy, Clemson edge rusher, going up against Iki Aquano. He's He's on this pod. Left tackle. He hasn't really faced a top-tier sort of pass rusher. That'll be nice for him. Those guys are power players, so I think Iki should hold his own in that one. And then we have Kingsley Negbari and Jordan Strawn going up against Darian Kennard. Those are the South Carolina edge rushers going up against Darian Kennard, the Kentucky tackle. All top 100 players in the PFF draft board. LSU, Mississippi State, Clemson, NC State, and then you got South Carolina versus Kentucky. Some fantastic games. We'll be at Wisconsin-Notre Dame, remind you that. We'll be in at Soldier Field, Wisconsin-Notre. Wisconsin favored by five and a half in that game, and honestly, I'm nervous. I'm nervous for our Notre Dame fighting Irish. Can I say that? Why is Wisconsin's favorite by five and a half? That's poop. You think Jack that's Cone, poop? Jake Cohn, Jack Cohn, Jack Cohn, Jack Cohn revenge game. Really? I mean, All right, we're taking Notre Dame money line. We are taking Notre Dame money line. Let's go ahead and now get into the mailbag. The first mailbag question is from Brandon Ryblich on Twitter. He followed PFF underscore tailgate and sent a DM, which you can get your so questions on the tailgate podcast. Go follow PFF underscore tailgate on Twitter. Send us a DM. What's the best case scenario for the Steelers long-term at quarterback? I think it's to have a good enough roster to allure a top quarterback when they come available, kind of like what Tampa Bay did, whether it's Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, because you're going to be picking too high to realistically, in my opinion, get that guy to actually think it's going to be that guy. So I think that's your best bet because they are a good roster still. Another Steelers question, what are the Steelers' needs and who should they target in the 2022 NFL draft? I mean, I still think it's O-line, but it's going to be very difficult to say exactly where their needs are because Joe Hayden... Juju Smith-Schuster, Eric Ebron, uh, Trey Turner, James Washington, Terrell Edmonds. Melvin Ingram. Melvin Ingram. Chikuma Korafor. All free agents. So, depends on who they sign for agency. Does that not have you leaning towards blowing this thing up? I mean, or, or you're saying... Have Those good... aren't the key pieces, though. You're telling thing. me Juju Smith-Schuster's not driving this entire team? <laughs> I, I started laughing because I wrote down doo-doo instead of juju because that's that always cracks me up. I don't understand why that always cracks people up, but now, because of how time. funny you think it is, I start to laugh. Doo-doo. This is <laughs> this is from Harrison on Twitter. Guess what he did? He followed PFI underscore tailgate says DM. What's the reason for Matt Ryan's drop in average depth to target? 5.2 against the Eagles? Ryan's usually double that, and Arthur Smith took downfield shots with Tannehill. Is it bad offensive line, or does Smith have no confidence in Ryan to push downfield? Okay. So, yeah, bad offensive line is a part of it. He's, when you, pressure comes early, he's throwing it 
short. It's hard to attack downfield with a guy in your face. That's just fact of life. Other part of it is Julio Jones. You know, it's it's kind of like the Justin Herbert chicken and the egg thing. He had no one that could get open deep at Oregon, so he didn't attack deep. When you don't, when you lose your guy who's the best separator down the football field, you're not going to take as many chances down the football field. And then last thing here that I found very interesting, Andre Weingartner, who works for Madden, Madden has access to the ball speeds and the trip tracking data in the footballs. Matt Ryan has the lowest fastest speed of anyone in the NFL this year. Lowest fastest? So he's so slow. His, his fastest throw oh, oh. is the slowest of any quarterback in the NFL. This wow. Year. I like that. It's a good way of looking at it instead of like average speed because obviously you put yes. some floaters and shit. So over. his fastest throw is the slowest of anyone in the NFL. That's a, it's a little worrisome. I'll so, just say that. So that's what you're saying about Matt Ryan's arm potentially being cooked. Yes. Interesting. I like that. Can we get some ball speed data here? Zach Wilson actually had the fastest so far. Oh, so he's throwing some heaters. Yeah. I like that. All right. From Rex Ryan Burner. I think this is Rex Ryan's burner. Where do you see the Jets pick and Seattle pick ending up in 2022? And who should they target? Friends for the Jets to target in 2022 with all that cap room question mark? Um, for agency is going to be interesting. I don't like the – I don't like cake in their pants again. Like I don't like playing super heavy into it. And it's obviously a little too early to speak to free agents. But I can speak to the draft because I, f- I feel like in the top five where they'll likely be drafting and the top – 20 to 25 where the Seahawks will likely be drafting. We have a handle on who's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Top five would love Derek Stingley in mm-hmm. that defense. Oof, would love Derek Stingley as an outside cornerback. And then the 20s, I want another wide receiver in that offense. Yeah, you could use offensive line help, but I think you can fill that out in other ways. Maybe that's where you go in free agency, spend your money because you got two. For Seattle, you're saying? Two, no, I'm saying for the Jets still. Oh, wow. Because I, the Jets, he's talking about Seattle's pick that they got. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the pick that the Jets got. From gotcha, Seattle. gotcha. So Garrett Wilson is hopeful, you know, fingers crossed for a guy like that to complement what you already have on that roster and Elijah Moore and Corey Davis. My, my thought for either of these picks, I, I think we continue to talk about, we talked about it with Eric Galco, who's on the show. I, I really do love this defensive line. I mean, there's going to be some talent at edge. And I think continue to load up in the trenches, especially with early round picks is kind of where I lean. Stingley is the best defensive prospect in, in this class, or at least early doors it is. Maybe him and Kyle Hamilton duking it out. But um, the trenches, man, is shaping up to be pretty good. DeMarvin Leal, um, Nick Benito, Aiden Hutchinson, Kingsley and Agbury. There's a lot of talent there, too, where I think the Jets could go. Uh, from William Froman on Apple Podcasts. So we'd love to review on Apple Podcasts. Rank the top five Ohio State players ever. Cool. Okay, so ever. I was born in 1990. I've realistically been watching football since the mid to late 90s. Even then, I don't remember much of it. I wasn't a talent evaluator the way I am now. So you're not going to rank. You're not so going to people uh, from the rank 40s. what I see, like what I've seen that I can kind of have a good handle on knowing. And no, I'm not going to say Troy Smith just because you want a Heisman. Chase Young, Nick Bosa, and Joey Bosa. Honestly, in terms of just like defensive ends over the past decade in college football, those might be the top three just in terms of like how good they were. They've been dominant at that position. Uh, I'll throw those three in there. Justin Fields. Is the best Ohio State quarterback probably ever. I mean, he was electric. I do think there was there. this guy for Ohio State in the 40s that honestly balled out. That would go head-to-head with Justin Fields, but I like your Fields better. And then I saw Orlando Pace in the pros. Didn't obviously see too much of him at Ohio State, but he went number one overall, so I think Orlando Pace is probably pretty damn good to him. I think that's a list that a lot of Ohio State people will respect. Okay. What about Craig Krenzel? No Craig Krenzel, love? No, no Craig Krenzel. Maurice Claret was electric as a freshman. Former Bengal legend, sir. Uh, I've... I've uh, Antoine Winfield was in that mix. Didn't obviously see him in college either, though, too much. But, yeah, there's my list. From Richie on Apple Podcasts, does Mike still think Nishan Wright ga- should have been undrafted? Yes. 
Dude hasn't saw, seen the field. Kelvin Joseph is on IR. Got drafted ahead of him, cornerback. And Not just ahead of him, way ahead of him. And Deshaun Wright, third rounder, late third rounder. Still hasn't played a snap. You have a bad cornerback room. Still hasn't played a snap. Averaged over two yards per coverage snap in the preseason. Yeah, still think she should have gone draft. Sorry. Uh, all right. Joe Kogaba on Apple Podcast. Tanner McKee's pro outlook after go after looking good against USC with influx of talent in recent years. Will the NFL ever get to a point where a quarterback isn't taken in the first round because no one needs one? I, I, I'm going to answer that second question. Fucking no. I mean, it's yeah. the most. Uh, we were just talking about this. Max Chadwick, producer on this show, is also a great a great guy. Mm. He's talking about, oh, I, I bet 25 to 1 that Kyle Hamilton's the number one overall pick. Or I bet. You know, thir- you know, 35 to one that this other fucking player is the number one overall pick. There has not been a non-offensive or defensive lineman or quarterback pick number one overall since the late nineties. And there's okay, been well, like, there's been like three in the last 40 years. Like it's a position. Well, that's O-line, D-line. I mean, there's still been O-line, D-line. I mean, Miles Garrett, Jamin Clowney got number one overall. You're saying non-quarterback. Just, I I know, okay. but I'm saying it's, I'm, my point is the valuable positions are what's drafted highly. Yeah. And like, if you go an entire 32 picks without drafting the most valuable position in football, you're dumb. Like, it's dumb. It happened it's, in 2013. No first round quarterback in 2013. Oh, wait, no, there, wait, was there? EJ Manuel did. But okay. I still, I still feel like it's very, it's going to be very rare that no quarterback is taken the first round of a draft. But it should, there shouldn't have been one in 2013 in retrospect. 2013 also okay. is going to go down as one of the worst drafts ever. It was one of history. the worst drafts ever. Yeah. So, what's but, your take? Uh, yeah, it's just very doubtful. I mean, okay. There is, though, a point where population growth. Stick with me. Oh, 32, no. 32 NFL teams. The game grows. You get more international talent. You have 3 billion people playing the game of football. You might have high-end quarterback play. But at that point, though, they'll, the NFL will have expanded, and there will still be a paucity of quarterbacks. So, yeah, I, I, I doubt it. And if it does, it's going to be in like 100 years. The 2013 NFL draft will go down as one of the worst in NFL history. It's poop. It's yeah, poop. and you're discounting like we might expand to like the moon or Mars or other planets. I didn't think about moon. Space, you know, shit like that. Come yeah. on. Eric Fisher, Luke Jockel, Deion Jordan, Lane Johnson, Ezekiel Ansah, Barkevius Mingo, Jonathan Cooper, Taven Austin, D. Milner, Chance Wormack. I'd honestly take E.J. Manuel over all those guys. The, my favorite was two guards going in the top ten. That's how you know it's a good draft. Um, back to Tanner McKee, though. So those don't know. Tanner McKee is a Stanford quarterback three games into his career. He was a top 40 recruit, took a two-year LDS mission, only came back last year. So he's technically, he could play for four more years for Stanford. And if he does, that would be pretty lit for Stanford fans. But I have a hunch he's going to the draft sometime soon because on the next PFF draft board, he's going to be a top 50 player. This guy is extremely talented. His arm, like he is your breakout. I tweeted, he's the breakout prospect for this year, the quarterback position. His arm is tremendous. Uh, has been very accurate with the football. Now, will he come out this year? That's still, I, I, I would be surprised, honestly, if he does. Because one year of football, and yeah, he's four years removed from high school, but this guy could be the number one overall pick in 2023. Like, that's the kind of physical tools we're working with wow. here. We're talking about. And I'm not sure that offense is going to showcase him in a way or like where 12 games, you, people are going to really fall in love with him enough to say he's the number one overall pick. Because he was a little bit jumpy out the gate against Kansas State. I thought he was throwing a little too. He really settled in better against USC in this past week against Vanderbilt. So maybe he really turns on the second half of the season and, and is like, okay, everyone's talking about him as a first-rounder and he goes. But I think at some point he'll, he'll likely be a first-round pick, though, this guy. That's, he's very good. 
There we go. Tanner McKee, the Stanford love. I will add this to my take on the quarterbacks, though. Okay. I do think the rookie wage scale changing has a high impact on that. Yeah. Because now, you know, getting quarterbacks on this rookie contract is a new edge in the NFL that you didn't have before, you know, the Jamarcus Russell era and those things. So I do think that's a new di- newly discovered edge that teams will continue to leverage. It's why, you know, quarterbacks being drafted as high as they are. And we had five in this past week, in addition to it being obviously a very good class. Yeah. Is it trivia time? Trivia time. Trivia time. Quinn, do you have the questions? I do. And once again, I have not. Re- I mean, I kind of just glanced over them, so we're sort of flying by the seat of our pants here. Um, but we'll go with it. You guys right. ready? Ready. Right. All right. Uh, number one, Notre Dame is tied with two two other schools for the most Heismans with seven. Oh. Can you name the two other schools? Alabama. USC. Negative. Negative. Oh. Really? Yep. Shot Oklahoma. The heart. Yeah, yeah. Oklahoma. That's a good take. I should have said that first. Oklahoma's number I'm one. An idiot. Um, Ohio State. Yep, nailed it. Bang. Like yeah. Split it. We'll split it. Tiago split it. Yeah, that was good. That was a, that was a t- I probably would not have gotten that one myself. Uh, let's see. All right, number two. Who was the last Wisconsin player taken in the top five? Ooh, that's a good question. Wisconsin. Oh, I think I know. Say it. Joe Thomas. Yeah, Joe Thomas, 2007. Wasn't he drafted on the fishing boat? Yeah, that's cool. Out I remember that. I remember watching that as a child. He like, would have gone the cool. year earlier, but he was playing defensive line in Wisconsin's bowl game as a junior towards the ACL. No way. Yeah. Really? Yep. That's a nice little trivia piece. I know, right? People skip bowl games nowadays. Joe Thomas playing D-line. That's what real men do. I'm kidding. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Maybe you should write <laughs> these questions next week. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> last one, number three. Uh, who holds the best rookie passer rating in NFL history? Jamarcus Russell. Oh, uh, no, but he's on the list. <laughs> he's somewhere on there. Um, was it Justin Herbert last year? No, I wasn't. Um, do we have a year he was drafted? Uh, I feel like Justin Herbert said every record. That's why I guess him. I don't. It's it's recent ish. I think I know now. I'll say RG three. No, oh. he he was he had it and then somebody broke it. Oh, RG three okay. was drafted in two thousand twelve. Gotta know who it is. Then. Um, I have no idea. I would think it's Baker then. No, it's really not Baker. No, who oh, is wow. it? Dak Dakota Prescott. Oh, God, I'm an idiot. We're done. One hundred four point nine. All right. Yep. That's it. That's all I got. Uh, know your co-host question. Yeah. You ready for mine? Yeah. I have twenty four stitches. Oh. From a cut. Where is it? And what happened? What happened? He's never told me the story. So I like, um, I'll guess. I'll guess your foot. No, it is is on my four, my my forehead, my scalp. I got my sister when I was five years, four, now probably three or four years old. Yeah kicked me off my bunk bed mm. and we had the bunk beds that are set like this not parallel but they were perpendicular okay so then the corner of the bottom bunk bed your boy goes down flying and i go split right in right here yeah split it and uh passed out instantly they took me to the hospital 24 stitches to the dome barely survived um you know that explains a lot it does and that's what honestly the, the initial reaction i usually get and it's something i'm recovering from and honestly really uh um can, what is it self-conscious about? But I'm glad we were able to bring it up. Um, okay, mine was going to be a little tamer. What city was I born in? Dude, this one's bullshit. I feel like people ask me where you're from, and I sometimes say Chicago, sometimes say Milwaukee. Because I moved around. Yeah, you moved around a lot. I, I, I still don't really even know what state you're from. I'm going to say you are from the state of Wisconsin. 
Is that wrong? I was born in Wisconsin. And are you from Milwaukee? I was born in Milwaukee. Yes, there let's go. go. But you, so can we walk? Milwaukee fucking, by the grace of God. What's the family? What what happened? Okay, I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I lived there till I was six years old. I moved to a city called Muhammad, Illinois, which is probably twenty minutes outside of Champaign, Illinois, where the University of Illinois is. I went to grade school there, but then I ended up going to high school in Champaign, where the university is called the University of Illinois High School, and then. I went to Notre Dame, and after high school, my parents moved to Louisville, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. So I'd go back to Louisville in summers and whatnot to visit them. And then they retired to Orlando. I moved to Chicago after I graduated, and then I moved here. Wow. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. So Milwaukee. He's from Milwaukee. Mike Renner, the man, the myth, the legend, is from Milwaukee. Mike Quinn is from Cincinnati. I'm from Oakland, California. This is the Tailgate Podcast. Until next time, next time, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. This has been fantastic. Continue to follow the Tailgate Tour. We will be in Chicago, Wisconsin, at Notre Dame, Soldier Field. You'd love to see it. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Mike Quinn, producer Max Chadwick, producer David Tofaro, Tailgate. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current director of football operations, player personnel at the East-West Shrine Bowl, Eric Galco, also a big friend of the show, big friend of Mike and myself. Great to have you on the pod, man. Appreciate it, guys. What's going on? They're doing well. This is grind season for you. You are looking yeah. at so much tape as you kind of progress forward. I guess where I'd like to start, honestly, let's speak to the Shrine Bowl and kind of what your goals are for the Shrine Bowl this year and this upcoming draft season. Like what all do you want to accomplish with obviously the players you're bringing in and how you want to promote these players and how you want to honestly, you know, get the best players to this game. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, the first 75 years of the Shrine Bowl event, it was the most important part of the NFL and college offseason. I didn't know this. Apparently back in the day, it'd be on two net cable network channels. So literally half of the cable channels you had was watching the Shrine Bowl back in the fifties <laughs> and sixties. And it's my job to kind of make sure that's back the same way. And the best way to do it aside from scouting, which we'll talk about players here in a minute is making sure the game is an awesome experience having like best in class resource recovery and tools. Uh, we're part with the NFL now. So our chance for our quarterbacks to play catch and learn from Pat Mahomes and our linemen to learn from, Quentin Nelson while they're down there all in Las Vegas, which is a pretty cool city. If you guys haven't heard of it, um, it's all <laughs> going to be, a, I think an awesome experience and the players that come this year will have such a great experience. And I have no doubt moving forward, it'll be a spot that every college senior college eligible player is going to want to go to every off season. The issue I have is I know Vegas too. Well, that's the problem. I kind of come <laughs> Vegas knows me. That's for sure. Um, let's talk more about your, the scouting process and when this, yeah. pro when, how this process starts, kind of how you, you know, with the list of players you start with and how you kind of continue to pare this down ultimately to the people you, the, the players you bring to the East West, East West Shrine Bowl. Yeah. I mean, way our staff has operated and prior to this, you know, myself and my team has worked at the XFL. Um, so we're used to having massive that say to data sets of players and reports and evaluations. So we're still watching every player in the country, even guys that are redshirt sophomores, redshirt freshmen. I think we have 15,500 and some players written up across the country, um, which seems like an astronomical number. So we're prepared overall, whether they're seniors and, and super seniors or super COVID seniors or, or redshirt freshmen, but for us, it's really about defining roles. That's one thing we've had a lot of success in is saying, hey, if he's not this, what is he? If he's not this, then he can't play in the league. And I think it's really hard sometimes on in the draft world and the media to kind of say what a fifth round pick even means. For us, we try to really stay focused on roles and we kind of stumble in the draft process that way. But for us, we, we feel really confident. We did a lot of work in the preseason and I think we know a lot of who the top seniors are. Thankfully, all the guys we evaluated last year are still in school, as you guys well know. So that made our job a little bit easier. But 
wide range, but I think certainly so far after what three, four weeks, we're kind of whittling down now who the top seniors are and aren't. I know you told me the other day that you're going to be sending out invites here soon to some of the top seniors for the Shrine Bowl. How exactly does the process of inviting and accepting of invites and all that work? Yeah, certainly the next, you know, within the next four or five weeks, it's pretty common for all-star games starting inviting players. And what the real goal is we want to start inviting players in, you know, after we've seen enough games, right? Eight weeks, nine weeks of games and, and start to tell players, what the Shrine Bowl is all about. And one of the cool things I guess we haven't talked about yet is that the Shrine Bowl is about the Shriners Hospital for Children, on my little backdrop there, mm -hmm. um, which is a fantastic charity and, and hospital system that works with kids of, of all types of, of medical issues to, to help them. And I think the chance of kind of these players to learn about that piece, my feedback, I'm new to the game this year. I've talked to all these former Shrine Bowl alumni and hearing them tell talk about how impactful that moment was, was enlightening to me i knew it was a great cause but hearing that is why i want to make sure players know about that coming in too so yeah in the next five six weeks we'll make sure we start knowing who's gonna be at the shrine bowl this year all the top seniors in the country and flying out to vegas and getting those arrangements done too so we're excited for the invite process we're excited to kind of get the scouting process done and start talking about how cool the game is going to be not only for players but for people like you guys covering it out there and, and seeing how much fun vegas is going to be on the field and then maybe off the field too for you guys <laughs> keep hinting at it we're gonna yeah. hit that home but uh um i have one more high level question on the game and then i wanted to yeah. just talk more specifically about players in the game week itself you know so much of what mike and i talk about in the off season is about how these all-star games and these bowl games can help you evaluate players against top level competition but also put them in situations like the pass rush drills that you see the senior bowl and other bowls as well like this is you can really glean a ton of information from these things it's something that we've graded for a while as well speak to kind of the the, the the drills you're going to run and what this game week is yeah. going to look like specifically for the players and I guess the opportunity scouts both for the NFL and for media will will have to see these players do. So, so glad you asked that. A couple <laughs> things. One, um, being new to the All Star Game process, I kind of wanted to just start from scratch. I talked to a lot of former coaches. I talked to Jerry Glanville and jo June Jones, who coached in the game a decade or so ago now. But kind of hearing what they did and what they didn't like and. One thing we care about is scheme, right? One thing the All-Star Games last year that, that participated didn't adjust for scheme. And we had guys playing out of position at an All-Star Game that they actually hurt themselves, supposed to help themselves. And we're going to make sure we have teams separated by scheme as opposed to just run whatever defense or offense you want to run. I think separately, and this will become, I think, much more the norm in the next two, three years, data, more than just what miles per hour they're running, but actually having advanced data. NFL teams have asked for that. You guys know the Rams have been so focused on on data the last couple of years quietly. Obviously, the Patriots are quietly as well. Uh, but we're going to kind of bring it to the forefront. I want you guys to be able to understand and talk to the analytics company we brought on, Breakaway Data, to kind of learn what they're doing, what they're able to, to draw conclusion-wise, and also give it to our players and have players learn about that too. Um, you know, the XFL, I was big in player empowerment and player understanding, and we're going to make sure players understand their body and their movements as well as media because – this stuff shouldn't be a secret anymore, right? Some NFL teams shouldn't have a huge advantage at the all-star games. I want every team, every media person, every player to really know how to evaluate themselves from a data standpoint. So it's going to be making practices more efficient, not just archaic, which I think a lot of all-star games have been archaic, uh, but then also bringing analytics into the forefront as well. Smart. I mean, that breakaway data, I think they are doing some special, special things with, um, you know, specifically like, player performance, physical performance. Yeah. I think that's uh, going to be awesome to see at the the, at the the Shrine Bowl. You you have something, Mike. Yeah, so I'm not going to go out and ask you who you're inviting. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. can you tell us but. like the 80 players you're inviting? That'd be fantastic. <laughs> but right. what are some top seniors that have caught your eye so far this year? 
You know, I'll start with quarterback. It's been um, – I'm a little more optimistic than I think I check my Twitter feed sometimes about how the senior quarterback class is like drafting running backs in fantasy. is like it's horrible. It's a wasteland. I think there's been a lot of senior quarterbacks I've been impressed with. Obviously, the two guys I think I've tweeted about and most people know, Malik Willis and, and uh, Desmond Ritter, have been really impressive off and on. I think it's it's more important to focus on what they – could or couldn't do in the preseason and focus your attention there, right? I think Desmond Ritter would have loved to have a better second half, first half against Indiana last week. But if you know what you're looking for, you're seeing the improvements he's making as a passer. And same thing for Malik Willis. I think if you've ever evaluated Malik Willis, you've seen how he's grown drastically. So I thought the two quarterbacks there were really impressive. Certainly a lot of the pass rushers, both juniors and seniors, Aiden Hudson most notably, has stood out drastically as well too. I think tight end has been one of the craziest deep positions, and especially at seniors, I can remember. I look back and I say that, and then I look back at 2018's draft, and it was great. In 2014, I think it was. That was great, too. But we are spoiled, maybe not by first-round tight ends, but there's going to be so many day two, early day three tight ends. Even guys like Grant Calcaterra from SMU, who we maybe forgot about the last year and a half, he's a guy that might not be a top four-round tight end. He might be the eighth-best tight end in this draft class. So quarterbacks and 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 tight ends certainly jump out to me as guys that uh that have impressed this year colorado state's trey mcbride coming off an absolutely yeah. talk about data it's yeah. like one of the first times you've seen a guy have 109 of 110 receiving yards in a single game uh i wanted to bring up this edge class i, I know yeah. you've probably already you know gotten into some of the film here but kingsley and nagbury aiden hudson nick Benito, like some guys that legitimately are i think this edge class is special and remember last year's class you know, Mike and I talked a lot about, you know, these guys are kind of projects, they're very athletic, but there's some missing pieces with Rousseau, Pay, Jalen Phillips even. This class, there's a lot of older prospects compared to last year, and a lot of these guys I do think can hit the ground running pretty quickly. What has been your early, you know, kind of um, impression of this edge class, and who are some of the guys you like? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, low, the underclassmen for sure. You mean George Karloff, because you haven't run up yet. He's going to be a guy that's really impressive too. I would say we were, I was most excited to watch Adam Anderson um, coming into this year, and he had the game. I think it was the bowl game where he had that unbelievable. What he bend? You know the play, Mike. I'm talking about where he had the bend and he just like sacked the quarterback out of nowhere. And I think he's been playing more this year. The problem with Adam Anderson is that George's front seven has six other draft picks on it that he can't always finish. But I think he's a guy that athletically, I don't know if there's a better athlete at the edge rush position in the country. I think he's still slowly getting better and better, and he might be end up being a top twenty overall pick, if not higher as well. That's how high of a ceiling he has as well, too. But he stands out. One guy I bring up, not really an edge guy, but a his body type says edge guy, Noah Taylor at Virginia. Um, if you haven't guys checked him out yet, too, really special guy. He calls a lot of their defensive sets. Wow. He's added some weight. He drops back in coverage. He can edge rush. He can stunt on the middle of the field, too. I think a lot of edge guys, we know the top guys, the DNs, the outside linebackers, three, four guys, too. But guys like Noah Taylor, I'm always super impressed by because when it's hard to find a player comparison for a guy, that usually tells you he's pretty freaking good. Yeah, Virginia has a handful of those guys. Last year they had, gosh, the names escape me right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then this year, so Taylor's like 6'5", yeah. 235, like a super long dude who can rush the as well. Yeah. I want to get back to the quarterback class, though, because that's going to be what everyone's talking about for the next six-plus months, kind of like it was last year. But this one, to me, yeah. in my opinion right now, I don't think it has that guy at the top. I do not think anyone has sort of solidified themselves as slam dunk. You take them with a number one overall pick if you got it. Am I crazy? Or do you think there's a guy that would fit that bill? I think Desmond Ritter has played well this year, but Malik Willis, I think, will end up being the first overall pick in the draft. I think he's that talented. And I, I think 
part of that maybe is that there's not a lot of competition, right? We saw mm -hmm. Daniel Jones go sixth overall in part because Kyler was the first one after him. He had a quarterback, he had to take a guy. I yeah. think that probably helps Malik too. But I'll tell you guys, I've talked to people in the league, executives that agree, that think, hey, you know, I'm a GM and if I need a quarterback, I'd love to get him. Or if I'm a GM next year, I'd love to go get him and get a guy. I think he's that special. And part of it too, which I think we'll learn in the draft process, including maybe at the Shrine Bowl, is you talk, you meet you meet him, you talk to the coaching staff. I went through Liberty and talking to that coaching staff. And I've talked to a lot of coaching staffs in my life. And sometimes they sell you a bag of whatever. And sometimes they don't. And I think the people around him um, as a quarterback are, he's pretty special in that sense too. And not to mention, obviously a really physically talented and, and specimen guy too. And then again, playing at Liberty, not going to play against SEC guys this year, type competition. So the all-star game will matter a lot for him too. But I think he's the guy that I, I like the most personally. I think Ritter is also a guy that reminds me a lot of Colin Kaepernick, but maybe a little bit better as a prospect. I think he's a first round guy. And then hopefully one or two of these soft redshirt sophomores, junior steps up because this class is really missing another guy. Sam Howell's still there, but we'll see if he can kind of be a, a top 10 overall quarterback as well. How do you, anybody? do you have a uh, corral is kind of up so. there too. Corral as well. Yeah. He's yeah. playing very well this year too. Um, how the hell did Bo Nix beat out Malik Willis? Do you have any insight <laughs> on that? <laughs> Um, I, I actually do. I, I won't go into it too much, but okay. um, I, I think we'll look back and say, hey, Justin Fields and Jake Fromm, I yeah. think that's probably a more extreme version too. But no, I, and the funny thing, real quick, if you ask Malik Willis, he'll admit, right, that, hey, maybe I, I could have done things differently. I could have been better at Auburn. It's my fault that I'm not there. Maybe I shouldn't say, he wouldn't say I'm not, it's his fault. I don't want to speak for Malik Willis. Mm -hmm. But I think people agree that that, that maybe – the split had to happen for Malik to be where he is today. I think that's really important for Malik's development. And I think that speaks to, you know, the type of player that Malik Willis is, taking ownership of some of that stuff, I think is, is super yeah. impressive. I hate to bring this to my alma mater here, but I got a senior that's balling out. San Diego State's Zachary Thomas, the off the tackle. Have you turned on the tape of San Diego <laughs> State, and have you looked at my guy Zach here? 91.6 run blocking grade so far this year. And his brother, his brother is a D tackle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the brothers, underclassmen, but also very impressive too. But but no, I, I have, I've only watched San Diego State um, more recently for the Ooh. tight end, Dale Bellinger, and focused on him <laughs> a lot too. But Zach Thomas, we have we have graded as a guy that I think is in the draft bowl mix as well too, but um, was not prepared for my Zach Thomas takes for uh, for mid-September here too. But I'll get ready for the next time I come on too. But no, he's a good player. We've got a we've got a late round granted, I think, right now. Um, but they're a good team this year. They're a well-coached team, and that O-line D-line's played really well this year for sure. Always have been. I hate to throw a San Diego State one out of the blue here, but uh, as we're talking East West, I Shrine, thought you were going to say Daniel Bellinger because I like him a lot. I wasn't ready for Zach Thomas. That's my bet. How, my how bet. about the uh, Coastal Carolina receiver? That's another guy that's grading really, really well for us. Helia. Yeah, yeah. Helia. Duh. He is also winning a ton downfield. I think when you look at Grayson McCall and that Coastal Carolina offense, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting offense how often they run these, you know, different options and things. But when they do push the ball deep, McCall is constantly looking for uh, Javon Helia. What's been your impression of him? And it's, and it's a ball skill and a route running thing for him, right? He's not like a burner running yeah. four three either. I think it's always super impressive. Him and I think Reggie Robertson at SMU are two guys. I love watching them as a route runner downfield because for both those guys, it's more than just speed. So I think Kalia's played really well this year. He's a guy a lot of NFL scouts I've talked to in the Southeast have mentioned when I bring up Coastal Carolina, right? We know likely the tight end. He's been good for the last two years. Jeff Gunter was a guy. But I remember last year asking scouts about Taron Jackson and – he came up as well to the receiver. So he's been well, but again, I, I love receivers, especially in today's NFL route speed means the most. 
But if you can still separate as a route runner and, and deceive a little bit and win vertically, that seems to translate more in today's NFL than it did even three, four years ago. And he's been really good that way. 100%. I mean, that's Mike's type. You're, we're all chasing the separators at this point. The, you know, the contested catch guys can put up big numbers. We talked about it on you know, the podcast this morning. But it's about you know, creating separation consistently when you get to the pros. Eric, this has been fantastic. I, I'd love to close with this. Tell people how they can support the East-West Shrine Bowl and also you know, uh, w- w- what we should be on the lookout for over the next few weeks. Yeah, next few weeks, we'll have a bit more about what the Shrine Bowl is all about. It's really been a whole, it's a whole new event than it was even two years ago. So it's my job to not tweet too much because people don't care about the Shrine Bowl right now. They will later. I tagged Mike in a tweet one time and he was like, stop tagging me in this stuff. <laughs> well, it's about so Boston people College, don't... so <laughs> can't have that. <laughs> that was on purpose too. Um, but no, but people, people, I think um, I want to make sure it's awareness, not only for players and people to know about the Shrine Bowl being different this year too, but eventually we'll do a lot more of it. Talk about the Shriners Hospital for Children. It's a fantastic yeah. organization. It's what the game's all about. Making sure, um, especially our players know they're playing. I know more than just a game becomes like a tacky line these days, but it really is. And I think we're excited to start educating players and talk to NFL teams. They're excited. Certainly everyone's excited about Las Vegas and the Pro Bowl and meeting those players. But I think making sure people know this game is, is much more than just that is important to me as well. So Fantastic stuff, Eric. You're doing some, some awesome things there, and we really look forward to uh, watching the game. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Now joining the tailgate podcast is current Arkansas safety, Jalen Catalan. I'll say it, the hardest hitter in college football. I mean, I think the most ferocious. I think that's that's where my head is, at least. Great to have you on the show, Jalen. Yes, sir. Appreciate you having me. Where I'd like to start is honestly this physical, you know, ferocious mentality you play the game with. I think it's something that I've read a handful of interviews you've done that you just love the game of football and you play the game one way and that's never going to change. Where do you think that resonates? Is that your upbringing? Is that Arkansas football teaching you this stuff? Or where, where is that? Is that Mansfield, Texas? I'd love to know like, where this all started for you and honestly how you maintain it. Uh, I think it started real young. I think I credit my um, coaches when I was um, playing in the youth league. Um, I started putting the pads on to just um, be relentless. You know, don't, don't ever shy away from anything. You know, attack everything head on, you know. And um, I think that's what I try to do with everything I do on the field, just attack it, you know? And um, I don't know, I think when I kind of started just looking at highlights of people and everything, I think it's my mentality just started going to the point where, you know, I just love to hit, you know, any chance I get. So uh, I never really uh, try to shy away from it. You know, I try to be as physical as possible every single chance I get, you know, so I don't mind being free, coming down, or mind being the box. Uh, I think at the end of the day, this game's supposed to be physical and it's supposed to be played like that. So I must, I gotta respect that and play like that. Who are some of the guys that you, know, you said some highlights? Who are some guys either in the NFL or in college football that you kind of cater your game after or you aspire to be? Uh, when I was younger, probably like, you know, towards the elementary, intermediate, middle school, I like to watch Ed Reed. Uh, look back at Sean Taylor. That was a guy I watched. Another one was um, kind of the Legion of Boom. You had Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor. And if you talk about recently now, I like to watch Buda Baker. Uh, I like to watch Tyron Matthew, just the way, he, how smart he is on the field, the way he maneuvers, and he just has a that dog mentality. Um, those type of people I like to watch, and uh, especially people that are close to my size, you know, around my side. I like to watch them, see how they do things, and how they move around the field and stuff. That that dog mentality, I think the interesting balancing act for safeties like yourself, Buda Baker, Tyron Matthew, even Ed Reed, it's this balancing act of, you know, approaching every tackle with you know, 100 miles per hour, but also limiting mistakes and not missing tackles and making sure you maintain your angles. I guess, how do you, you know, prioritize that balancing act and avoid kind of being over, you know, overzealous at times or you know, speeding through the line and, and missing tackles? 
uh, I think technique comes before anything else, you know, like if you just sometimes um, just make a tackle is the best thing to do. You know, if you try to go for the hard hit every single time, yeah, that's how you're going to um, stack up on missed tackles. You know, I mean, missed tackles part of the game. It's going to happen. But if you can just really focus on your um, craft and uh, the detail of tackling and just realizing that whether it's a hard hit or just a tackle, it's worth the same thing. Then you'll under, you'll understand that you'll you'll see how you become a better tackler because you'll stop trying to worry about the hard hits and just know that those are coming if you play the game right and you play at full speed and you just play with physicality and just play relentless. You know, another thing about your game that I love is is the versatility. You play a lot of free safety. I think you've over over 100 snaps played at free safety already this year, but you also move into the box. Sometimes we'll line up over slot receivers. Does your mentality change at all when you are moving down to the box or close to the line of scrimmage? And also, how much are you getting the opportunity to to practice at all those positions? Uh, For the most part, the coaches do a great job of mixing it up. You know, they make sure I get some reps at the uh, slot. Um, I come in the box as much as possible as well. And I'm also just freelancing in the middle, you know. So uh, I think like um, my DC coach Odom and my DB coach, Coach Carter, have a great game plan for me um, as far as setting me up to be successful on inner defense, you know. So I love how I can be versatile in our defense. I can play here. I can play there. I can come back. So it's just kind of good that, you know, I can I can maneuver around the defense where, you know, there's a chance for me. I can have success and make the plays I need to make for the team. I think something that's impressed me from 2020 to 2021 on your tape is that somehow you're playing with even more confidence than you were this previous year. What do you attribute that to? How much is that as coaches, you know, you know propping you up and putting you in a position to succeed? Or is it you, you know, feeling more confident in your game and more confident in the role you have? For sure. I mean, 2020 season, <clears throat> I was young, you know, I was still trying to learn, the, you know, how things were supposed to be. You know, I kind of had to each week I got better and better and just learning the game a little bit, how the speed is and everything and just picking up on stuff. But I think this year the game slowed down for me like no other. You know, I'm able to um, recognize things at a faster pace. And um, not only that, but I'm able to tell everybody else what they're doing and stuff like that at a higher level. So I think, like I said, you know, with game comes experience. You know, each game you play, you become more and more experienced. But I feel like this year it's just been um, the game has just slowed down a ton for me. And as a result of that, I'm able to play with a lot more confidence than I ever had. That really shows up on tape, man. Like you see that confidence, you see the game slowing down for you. I think you look at games, Rice, Georgia. I mean, you are legitimately coming downhill early, early in the snap, even compared to last year earlier and coming downhill and making plays. I think that's been you know one of the more impressive things. Playing stuff in front of you, I think at free safety box slot, like you were consistently making plays at or behind the line of scrimmage, which is just incredible to see. How, speak a little bit to, I know you're a film junkie. I read a piece about when you were coming out of high school, you were watching, you know, four or five hours of film a week in high school, even balancing school and those things. What is your film process right now? Uh, so I usually, if I'm, if I'm here, I like to watch a little tape, um, but I usually go home. I have a little big TV hook up my little HDMI cord um, to my iPad and I just go through and watch film. You know, I, I'll catch myself watching the same play, I mean, 15, 20 times, just picking up on, you know, how he does he release, you know, is the tackle set far back as he uh, tells me it's going to be a pass or is he light on his fingers? If I'm in the box and see light on the fingers, I know it's going to be running. It's the Y foot and, you know, just things like that you got to pick up on because like I said, there's little details in everybody's offense that you can pick up on and then just, learning the splits and knowing the routes and just the tendencies of the quarterback, you know, does he look this way where he wants to throw left or vice versa? It's just things like that you have to pick up on. But honestly, it's just fun for me, you know, just to watch film and just watch the game. You know, I always like to watch the game first just as a fan and just kind of watch the game, see how everything kind of moved, how fast they were going. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I kind of slow it down and pick up on the details. So 
with that, you know, just managing now is, you know, try to get everything done. I have to get done. So I'm able to do all that. So um, in college is a little more um, tougher to watch, you know, because you got to worry about your school. But yeah. I still managed to get a lot of film in for sure. I mean, close to about, I would say, 45 minutes to at least an, an hour at the, at the least. That's fantastic. Before we get to Texas A&M and the film that you've already looked at there, when you were turning on to Texas film, I mean, how impressed were you with that running back they had, B. John Robinson, who I know you had multiple encounters with in that game. That guy, a monster in a lot of ways. I guess he's been one of the more impressive players you faced. What was the, your opinion of him? Oh, man. I mean, his, his sky's the limit. I mean, his <laughs> body build, his build is different. As a sophomore, for him to be that built like that, I mean, that's that's incredible. And then just um he runs he runs behind his behind his pads you know he's not afraid of contact and he's not a one hit guy you know you might you have to game tackle him you know one guy is um nine hour percent of the time one guy is not going to bring him down that's something i can respect out of the back that you have to have the whole team tackle him and i think like i said that's what we did a great job against um them is that we were just game tackling him as a team you know but i mean that's respect to that guy because i know that he has a bright ceiling for sure, a high ceiling for sure and a bright future for him so he's, he's a baller What's wild, too, is I'm sure you saw this, but Texas also, like, splits him out in the slot. Like, they do a lot of crazy usage stuff with him. They love using him everywhere because of how talented he is. Now, looking ahead to Texas A&M, you've had some opportunity to watch the film. You've had some opportunity to prepare for this game. I guess, what are you most looking forward to? And I guess some of the things that you picked up. I know you can't tell me everything. Don't tell me the secrets. But what are you looking at, most looking forward to against Texas A&M? And I guess, what have you already picked up on the film? Um, for me, the most important thing I'm looking forward to is just playing in front of in Jerry's world, you know, in a um, CBS primetime game, you know, um, we, haven't had, we haven't had that here in a while. So it's just a great opportunity for our team to go out there and play, you know, under lights and um, in Jerry's world and, you know, to show everybody what we can do, you know, so I'm just excited for the matchup. Anum's a great team with great players and we're a great team with great players. So it should be a fun one for sure, you know, and me just on film, you know, just I've just been picking up tendencies and I've just been picking up, you know, splits and um, you know, you know, the percentage of times they run this player, percentage of time they run that play, you know, if um, they've set what play coming. So just things like that I picked up. But um, like I said, I know Coach Odom or DC has a great game plan and I know we're going to follow it and um, execute to the best of our ability. Let's close with this one, Jalen. I really appreciate the time. It, obviously, a really hot start to the season for Arkansas, yourself included. If you had to highlight an area where this team needs to improve the most to exceed your goals, I know your goals aren't 3-0. Your goals are to go 1-0 every single week. Your goals are to you know, pursue a national championship. Where does this team need to improve the most as you kind of progress forward and enter SEC competition? Um, I would say it's more about maintaining than improving. Mm -hmm. I think we have to maintain the same mindset. Um, I think we have the same minds because you can easily go three and zero, and it's like your first time in a little while, and it's, it's easy to get a, a, you know, a high hat, a high hat, you know. But I think for us, we've done a great job of just maintaining our um, our consistent mind, knowing that you know we're just trying to be one and zero every single day, you know. Uh, on the defensive side, I think we've been doing a great job of just following our um, our um, what we call it's, it's we call it, you know we run to the ball, run and hit, swarm the ball be physical and don't allow explosive play. That's what we live by. And um, I think the one thing that we have to just do better on, I think is just finishing games. You know, I think we have spurts in every games where we kind of just lower ourselves to our standard, you know, but we have to keep our standard high in every single quarter and every single drive. So that's definitely something we talked about the defense and we're going to definitely um, approach um, in this upcoming game. Um, but as a team, I think um, we have this right mindset going to this game. So I'm excited for it. Absolutely, man. Jalen, I really appreciate the time and I wish you best of luck this week and the rest of the season. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, Austin.
Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current NC State offensive lineman Icky Aquanu. I think Icky is a good nickname for you, man, because you are quite easily the nastiest offensive lineman in college football right now. I don't even think it's fucking close. I do not think it's close. You are tape. So at PFF, we have opportunities to watch the All-22 like you, within 24 hours after every game. You are the first guy I'm turning on because your end zone angle, All-22, is a must-watch every single week because of how you play this game. It's just an honor to have you on the show. I appreciate that. Where, where I'd like to start, man, is you know run blocking specifically. And I think there's a pass protection rep. We brought it up before we were recording where you kind of just blow this guy 20 yards down the field, get called for a personal foul and all that stuff. But run blocking, you are consistently moving people off, off the line of scrimmage at NC State. And it's really been something you've improved on over the course of your career. Speak to the mentality you approach run blocking with and also just how much you feel your technique and all these things have improved as a run blocker at NC State. Oh, yeah. So I take a lot of pride in my run blocking. Um, that's just an aspect of the offensive line play that I just I focus on a lot. And I feel like that's probably like the most probably like the most fun part of playing offensive line is being able to move a guy from point A to point B and just he can't do anything about it. Um, I don't know. I just always, always kind of have that that mindset to me. Um, we're just whoever's in front of me. I just want to dominate them. And I feel like that really comes out in the run game. And we talked a little bit before we started recording about your wrestling background. And there's a lot of guys, you know, specifically along the offensive and defensive lines that have wrestling backgrounds and have success in the trenches. I think you're another one. Speak more to kind of your the sports you've played previously in high school and how much maybe that wrestling background has helped you on the football field. Yes, I played a lot of sports in uh, high school. I was really going to, during the winter, I really planned on playing basketball. But uh, my older brother, he wrestled at uh, Providence Day in my high school and then the wrestling coach just kind of just knew my family a little bit. And so he kind of just brought me into wrestling, into the wrestling room. And really at first I really wasn't that good, but I just kept working at it. Uh, and I really saw the benefit of it closer to my junior and my senior year, but everything involving hand fighting, uh, level changes, just really just knowing how to use your body well and just, uh, just learning a lot about leverage and things like that. Some of the intangibles that you learn uh, on offensive line, defensive line, I feel like I got all this sort of stuff through wrestling. And you see that you see that leverage kind of experience or expertise in your run blocking, how you're able to get low. Six four, three twenty, that's what you're listed at, I'm sure. Where where's your weight at currently? Are you are you a true six four, three twenty? You leaning over, you leaning under? Yeah, three twenty just gotcha. Nice man. Well that's I mean, it's impressive to to move as well as you do athletically at that size, I think is another, you know, obviously special component of your game to start this season. But another one I wanted to bring up is your pass blocking. Your pass blocking, one of the highest graded pass blocking off the tackles in the country. Some of the sweet feet you have. It's a different it's to, it's almost a different game. You know, you talk about pass blocking versus run blocking, it's almost a different game in that you have to have more finesse, especially against speed rushers. You know, you will go against some bull types that you need to be kind of holding your ground and there's some of that run game leverage stuff coming up but how, how have you feel your your pass blocking has progressed and I guess compare the mentalities you have in each oh uh, yeah my pass blocking and my pass uh pro has really been something I've been focusing on uh every offseason since my freshman year really since I got here mm -hmm. um because I just feel like the game is changing a little bit and you need to be able to like you said have those sweet feet and be able to really just be able to move your body well in space uh to defend against some of these uh D linemen coming out of school because you can just see, you know, every year like the, the defensive line classes get, you know, just better and better and better. And you just got to make sure that you have the feet to match up with some of the guys speed and some of their power. Um, but yeah, that's the pass protection. That's something I've been uh, trying to improve on every year that I've been here. And that's something that really all of us at NC State, uh, Coach Garrison and everyone's just been helping me a lot with. 
Yeah, NC State honestly has been a bit of an offensive line factory, pushing out a ton of talent. You know, a lot of technically sound guys. And I think um, you know, you bring up the defense. You know, it's kind of a cliche at this point, but I'd argue the best athletes in football play along the trenches. You know, play along the lines. You know, the offensive and defensive line. These guys are rare, rare size, speed, athleticism ratios, and dealing with those guys at full speed off the edge is very, very difficult. Something I um, talked to Tristan Worfs about. He's been on this podcast a handful of times. He spoke to at Iowa. You know, you're running certain different, you know, certain sets. That's where it's spot setting or three, you know, three step sets where in, at, in, um, at, at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he's doing a lot more straight bot drop sets and do these different things. How important, I guess, or how often do you have that opportunity to, to leverage or practice set versatility? You know, cause you have to do, you know, depending on the rusher or depending on the offense, you have to do different sets in those things. I guess, do you have a lot of experience kind of doing those different things at NC state? And I guess how, how has that gone for you? Yeah. So really your pass set is something that can really change week to week based on who mm-hmm. you play against. And then obviously, you know, we have plays and we have certain schemes where uh, I'm really required to pass it a certain way. Um, but I feel I've gotten a good mix of a lot of different sets. I've been able to work a lot of different sets, things that I kind of uh, see, like I, I like to watch a lot of films. So things that I see in the NFL, things that I see other college players doing, uh, if it looks good, I might try it and practice one day and, I just feel like being able to have that flexibility in your pass set and being able to be, uh, being able to adjust your pass set based on a defender is something that's really important. And that's something yeah. that I really try and add to my game. Yeah, set flexibility, set variety, I think is something that more and more, you know, as you see some of the best offensive linemen come out of the, uh, college football, those are the guys that are getting drafted highly and, and playing well at the next level. You said you brought up film. Who are some of your favorite guys in the NFL you like to watch uh, along the offensive line? So definitely Laramie Tunsil. That's, uh, he's definitely up there for me. Probably my top two, top three best tackles in the league. Chant mm-hmm. um, Williams, just he's just a beast. Uh, just how he plays, uh, so just he's just so dominant, and he just knows how to move his body so well, and just he just moves so well in space. Um, and he just he kind of just plays really free. That's something I like like about Trent Williams. He doesn't really uh, like confine himself into a box of how he plays. He he uses a lot of different techniques and a lot of different strategies, and so he keeps the defensive line lineman guessing at all times, which is something I like a lot. Um, back when I was playing guard, I watched a lot of Quentin Nelson. Um, I watched a lot of Batonio, uh, a lot of uh, a little bit of Zeitler, Kevin Zeitler. Mm-hmm. Uh, just some of those guys that are known for being dominant, uh, but also having really good technique. I try and just pick my pick some game out from them. I think the Bucks have a lot of talented offensive linemen too on the interior and the exterior. Worst, and also you got um, you know Kappa on the inside, Ryan Jensen at center. Those are some guys that are known for being dominant in the run game. You brought up tackles. I want to hear you, you Trent Williams, Laramie Tunsil, top three, top two. If you had to rank your top three tackles in the NFL right now, who do you got? Honestly, I can't even rank them. They're just like, <laughs> I can just give you like who I think are the best, but yeah. ranking them is just, that's, that's a whole different ball game. Just, no, it's tough. Just some of the guys at that level are just so talented. It's just. You just can't help just but study them. Just hope that you can pick some parts of their game and add it to yours. It's really all you can do. Absolutely. How about uh, when you're turning on college film? You know, when you're preparing for opponent, I know you got a big opponent at Clemson this weekend. When you're turning on the film and looking at, you know, an opponent pa- opposing pass rusher or defense you're going to go up against, what are some of the keys you look for or tendencies you look for on film to kind of prepare yourself? I mean, yeah, I like to uh, turn on, like, pass downs, like third downs to see kind of, like, if their demeanor changes a little bit, uh, maybe their stance might change. And uh, just kind of like to see like how they work their hands, how they use their hands, what some of their favorite moves are. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they give me a tail based on their alignment, stuff like that. Just That's something I just try and keep on on film. And so when I get into the game, I kind of already know what they're going to do before they even do it. 
Looking ahead to Clemson, obviously one of the biggest games for NC State. It's one of the biggest games in the ACC. What have been some of the things that you found on tape that have impressed you about that defense? And I guess what are some of the bigger things you're preparing for specifically that you know they're going to throw at you? Well, yeah, I mean, with Clemson, you know, they play that four down. And all four of those defensive linemen really know how to get to the quarterback. Um, and so it's probably the, some of the most consistent and I guess some of the most developed pass rushers that uh, we face so far, which is uh, definitely – it's definitely a good challenge to see that. Uh, you can tell that they're well coached, how they use their hands, their stunts. You can just tell that they're well coached. And so, yeah, I've just been looking at uh, pass rushing downs, really just trying to see if I can get a tell on anything they like um, and stuff like that. Gotcha, man. And so for moving forward, and we only have a few more questions for you before I let you go. I really appreciate the time. You know, beyond Clemson, for the rest of the season, what are some of your you know, biggest personal goals as you move forward? And then we can finish with you know, what your goals are for NC State and this team as you move forward, where you can improve. But if you had to identify like what your goals are to finish the season are, maybe the biggest area you want to improve in, what would that be for you personally? Uh, yeah, I definitely want to make sure that my pass grade is high. I want to make sure that I'm consistent in the pass game. Consistent in my set, my hand timing, everything involving pass protection. Uh, I want to show a very clear improvement uh, from my past year to this year. Um, I, I really just want to put it on tape that I've improved in those areas. Um, the big goal for me personally is I, I want to win the Allen Trophy. That's the mm -hmm. biggest goal for me. Uh, that's the goal I've been talking about with my coach, with my family, with my teammates. And that's just an award that I really want to, I really want to bring back home to NC State. Yeah, I think the the Outline Trophy is a fantastic personal goal, man. I'm glad you have that on your list. And honestly, the improvement in pass protection, I've seen it so far this year, and I think and continue to put more of that improvement on on tape is is super important for the future in your career. And then as for NC State, what's your mentality? What's the team's mentality as you approach this Clemson game and what you guys can accomplish and maybe the biggest area you guys feel like you can improve? Well, we just want to make sure that we're consistent on offense, uh, really. The defense all year has been balling out. Um, and so we just want to make sure that we're playing – you know, better complementary football, uh, making sure that we feed each other in all three phases of the game, offense, defense, special teams. That's the main thing we've been focusing on. And just staying disciplined. Uh, last year, you know, we had some problems with penalties and uh, all that sort of stuff. And so we want to just make sure we take that on, take that off the tape, make sure that we're, every time we step on the field, we're the most disciplined and we just do our job every play. That's awesome, man. Well, I, I'm, I'm excited to watch your tape as they continue through the season. I wish you the best of luck for the rest of the year. I appreciate it, Austin. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current South Alabama wide receiver Jalen Tolbert. I am impressed with how much you've progressed over the course of your season, over the course of your collegiate career, and honestly developed into one of the better deep threats in all of the FBS. Where I'd like to start with you, Jalen, is honestly speak to that progression. I know in high school you were, you know, multiple sport athlete, baseball, basketball, football, all these things. When you got to South Alabama. You know, where, where did it start for you when you really started to put together this this route tree you have and this deep threat ability? How, kind of talk about the progression and the start of your football career. Uh, yeah, uh, honestly, you know, I didn't play football growing up. I never played park ball or anything. I just started kind of, you know, you, I guess you could say high school. I played on a freshman team, ninth grade, one, two. You know, I wasn't playing at all. 10th grade year, didn't touch the field. In 11th grade, I started picking it up. I had, you know, a group of guys that played with me in high school, uh, my wide receiver coach actually played too, so it was good to have those guys. And, you know, the group that I played with, you know, Marlon Williams was, you know, a big UCF receiver last year. Uh, that was one that he played on the other side of me. We got a guy, Larry Rembert, plays at West Florida and another guy that played at Troy. And, uh, you know, that was something that I took, you know, pride in seeing those guys actually work and, you know, getting 
I'm learning the football side from those guys. So me having them to compete with every day at practice was fun. And it kind of gave me that edge to, you know, like, hey, I want to do this to do that. So I picked up football. Um, and, you know, when I got here, I had Jamarius Way. I played behind him my freshman year. And he kind of really took me under his wing. Uh, him and honestly, I know he's on the defensive side, but Jeremy Reeves took me under his wing too. And they just, you know, they saw it in me and, you know, stayed on me, made sure that I was doing the extra things and, you know, taught me the, the way to work, the culture of working, the culture of getting better every day, 1% better and, you know, not settling for less. So I decided to, you know, put my head down and work. And that's just kind of how I've been since I've been here. And, you know, I, I see, you know, I always talk to people, get, you know, my weaknesses or what people thought were weaknesses and everything and just continue to work on those things. And, you know, it, it ended up paying off for me. And to this day, I'm still working, you know, getting better, learning coverages and everything since I started playing a little later. I'm still picking up on a lot of things football wise. So it's fun to continue to grow. And, you know, like you said, see the things that I'm growing with. That, that's phenomenal to hear, man. You're lucky to have you know, so many you know, good mentors or people you can work with both at the high school level and the collegiate level to kind of help you progress in your career. Going back to high school, what was kind of your usage like? You know, use, were you a ton of targets behind the line of scrimmage or screen stuff? Or were you, have you always been kind of this vertical threat that, you know, coaches have leveraged you down the football field? How has kind of your usage changed as you've gotten out to, uh, you know, where you are now? Uh, so, yeah, in high school, uh, we had four pretty good receivers coming out of my high school year. We had Marlon who played outside on the other side. We had a slot receiver, Brandon Hinton. He played at Troy. And so uh, he was, Brandon was mostly bubble screen. You know, we blocked for him. He got like little hitches and stuff. And then I was honestly, like you said, a deep threat. I ran post and deep balls and me being a little taller, I was, you know, the six, three receiver, you know, out of those guys. So I would get jump balls. I would get, you know, vertical, vertical threat things, post corners, post curls, things more down the field and let, you know, Brandon and Larry get the shorter stuff. Marlon would do the same as well. Marlon actually played kind of outside and got deep balls as well. And then as he went to UCF, he kind of transformed to, you know, more of a power, power wide receiver, however you want to put it. But now, you know, with this new offense that I have and you know, me learning the position more and more and continue to get better. I, I now run bubble screens and, you know, one screens. I move around, motion in, do it. So I'm, I'm, I believe that, you know, I'm taking my game to another level and being able to, you know, be an all-around receiver. And that's something that I haven't put a lot of, you know, the season just started. I haven't put a lot of film of that on before. And now, you know, I was mostly just, you know, run a post, run deep balls, do this. So a lot of people know me as a deep threat. But now, you know, I feel like I'm converting my game to where I have the deep threat in and, and you know, I can hurt you with slants and hurt you with bubble screens and things like that, just having the ball in my hand. So it's fun to, you know, be able to learn and compete and get better at that aspect of a wide receiver as well. That definitely sets me up for my next question because I was going to say it looks like your usage may be a little bit different this year. It's a small sample size, only three games so far, but you're adding that route tree versatility that a lot of receivers seek, especially at the point in your career where, you know, yes, you're, you're obviously super fast and can win down the football field, but as you add some of this underneath and intermediate, you know, routes to your game, that's what's going to make you this dangerous true wide receiver one. So I'm sure even getting back to your high school career, you've always been you know, one of the fastest, if not the fastest player on the football field. How have you prioritized improving the little things? Because sometimes when you are that fast and you are that dynamic and that big, you know, that tall, it's easy to kind of just get away with being bigger and faster than everyone. When did yeah, you start that's... prioritizing kind of the technique of the position? Because it is such a skilled position, especially when you get to where you're at currently or even in the NFL, you need to add these technical components to your game. You're not going to be bigger and faster than everybody as you get progressed in your career. So when did you start to prioritize that and how has that kind of progression gone? Uh, started, honestly, you know, 
my parents instilled in me, you know, always be humble. So, you know, me being faster and bigger than guys, you know, it's not always going to be that way. And, you know, of course, I have a dream of playing in the NFL. So, you know, when you get to that level, and this is where, you know, people like Jeremy Reeves and I actually, uh, over the summertime, just this past summer uh, alone, I was working out with, I trained in Florida with like Mark Marquez, Valdez, Scatling. We were literally at South Florida running routes, and he was telling me things that, you know, I could take into my game this year in college and then telling me things, you know, little tips for, you know, when it is time for me to, you know, take that step and go to the NFL, uh, you know, things that I could take with me and, and help me, you know. And he last year he led the NFL in yards per catch. So, you know, he's been doing some – having success up there as well, playing alongside Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, having him, you know, talk with me and Jeremy Reeves playing the defensive side and – he comes home down here to South and, you know, he's from Pensacola. So he always comes and sees me and we go out there and do releases, having him up there and releasing with him and, you know, seeing the things that NFL safeties, nickels, DBs, whatever, what they talk about, what they think like, you know, how they play the hash mark differences and everything, you know, having that stuff is, you know, keeping me working and keeping me, you know, moving because I know, like I said, Jer Jeremy tells me all the time, you know, when you get up there, everybody's good. It's more of a mental game, you know, and mm -hmm. I was training in Texas and when I was training in Texas. They were telling me about how Marlon Humphrey had just left and Marlon Humphrey said that he watched every receiver that he was going to play already. So, you know, he's prepared for things that are going to come at him. Not, not so much of being, you know, the fastest and the, the you know, strongest because everybody's going to be that way when you get up there. So just, you know, being able to have that mental edge, being able to have that, you know, physical, physical edge as well. And so, you know, having those guys teach me that thing, those things and, you know, instilling that in me for my parents is is actually helping me out and just continue. Like I said, I, I'm more of a guy that put my head down at work and, you know, don't really get fed up, you know, into all of the talk and this and that. Just, you know, get better, get better, get better. So that's all that, that's all that, you know, is particularly on my mind. That is so impressive to hear, Jalen. I think you're obviously, I said this before, but lucky to have those people in a position to, you know, you know mentor you in a lot of ways. But you're also – very smart to leverage, you know, their expertise and their experience to, you know, factor into your game. Cause I do agree that the physical edge that you see in college football going against, you know, different opponents lessens when you get to the NFL and where the bigger edges are is the mental side, the preparation, the work you're putting in, the hours you're putting in, you know, in, in the, in the workout room and in, in, in the facility and those things. So that's, that's awesome to hear, man. You're very, very fortunate, very smart to be, you know, identifying those things as opportunities. Uh, only a couple more questions for you, man, as the season progresses and you enter conference play, what are some of your bigger goals as a individual? And then the last one I'll ask you is your goals as a team with South Alabama, this offense, but as an individual, what are you, you know, hoping to improve on as the season progresses after obviously going three games in? Uh, you know, so far I've been doing, you know, pretty good. I get clouded a decent amount and get kind of, got kind of watched over like a home. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> uh, just, you know, continue to get better, continuing to be able to help the team make plays and individually, you know, I would like to, finished within the top 10 of receiving yards, you know, top five. I was top top 10 last year, want to be top five this year, you know, be able to, you know, get semifinalists, Belitnikoff, you know, be able to, you know, have last year, Jonathan Adams, of course, won the offensive player of the year, but, you know, I thought I had a shot at that, but be able to compete for that, you know, for the Sunbelt player, offensive player of the year, and, you know, just continue to do things, you know, continue to keep my name on radars and, you know, potentially set myself up to be, you know, hopefully the highest draft pick from South Alabama. So uh, just continue to work and put my head down and working for those things. And, you know, knowing that, you know, God has a plan for everything and, you know, continuing to work and continue to get better, it'll pay off for me. So just put my head down and work and 
for your team question, you know, uh, South isn't really known for winning. South isn't really known for a lot of things. And so me coming back this year and having the coaches and the guys around, you know, I, I took it upon myself to, you know, step into a different leadership role as, you know, more so than I would have last year or whatever. And, you know, kind of change the culture around here, get a winning culture, get it where, you know, guys want to come here and, you know, you know, not even if it's particularly because of me, but hey, you know, I want to play wide receiver at South. I remember that number eight kid or, you know, just little stuff like that just started up here where, you know, people, you don't have to go to Alabama and Auburn's and all these other bigger schools, you know, which is fine. But, you know, it's also opportunities everywhere, you know, and South could be a place, you know, that could provide opportunities for people who aren't, you know, fortunate enough to get an Alabama offer or an Auburn offer. So, you know, get those guys, you know, to, to catch on to that and change the culture around here, get a winning culture and, you know, make a bowl game for my first time, you know, um, while I've been in college and we're 3-0 and for the first time since, I mean, I, I'm think, I guess ever, I think it's ever, but, you know, for the first time since I've been here. And so, you know, that's good to see, you know, the progress coming along and we have a long way to go, but, you know, it's definitely, you know, a step forward and we're working to change the culture around here, you know, along with the coaching staff. So it's fun to be able to, you know, watch the change. I've been here through it all and just see how, you know, the, the university, the program, everything is changing, you know, on campus stadium now. So it's just a lot of things different and continue to grow off of that. Hell yeah, man. Well, you are the man to do it. I really appreciate the time uh, jumping on the show. And honestly, I wish you the best of luck this upcoming season. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. 